Calgary guys staying at home. Ryan Pinder and Pat Steinberg talking sports, pop culture, life, and anything else. Your afternoon diversion is right here. Stream online at sportsnet.ca slash 960. Download the Sportsnet or Radio Player Canada apps. Pinder and Steinberg are on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. You look at the season where, I mean, we played 72 or 73 games there. I mean, it's a long season. And, I mean, as a team this year especially, I think uh, – I mean, we battled through a lot of different things, and uh, I mean, we got a tight group. So, I mean, if this is uh, if this is a chance where where we can keep playing, obviously, our team definitely wants to be a part of that and uh, try and finish the season on a high note. That's Sean Monahan on with the boys this morning, and I think giving you the answer that that most teams in a playoff spot would give you right now, and that is that they want to come back, they want to have an opportunity to finish out the season, they want to have an opportunity to to play more games this year. But it got me thinking, because I was listening to that interview, it's uh, up on sportsnet.ca slash 960 right now, Sean Monahan with Pinder and Will this morning. And you know what, what... got me thinking more than anything else Kleiner was the fact that you know this was supposed to be this year a referendum on the core of the Calgary Flames that's what uh, the fancy media term that we've all been using referendum on the season for the Calgary Flames or referendum uh, on the actual uh, the, the core members of this team that have not been able to have a ton of postseason success well right I think that you can basically say goodbye to that line of thinking, can't you? Because even if they do return, it's not it's it's going to be different. And I feel like whatever happens with the Calgary Flames, I don't know if it can be that full on evaluation of Johnny Gaudreau and Mark Giordano and Matthew Kachuk and Sean Monahan and, and, and this core group of players that we've been talking about and at sometimes praising and at sometimes criticizing about the lack of playoff success or the success they do have. I don't know. Can you can you give a gr- good evaluation on Johnny Gaudreau? Can you say that you know if if they do start again and they play a best of three and then go out they they win that and then go out in the first round? Like, can you really say well that means that Johnny Gaudreau didn't get it done in the playoffs again because it's so different? Like, I almost feel like. You have to push that narrative another year. I almost feel like you can't really do that referendum on this core group of players until the end of next season because of how different and bonkers and messed up this season has become. Am yeah, I am I just... am I offside in thinking that? No, not at all. I, I'm in complete agreement with you. Um, you. We were just getting to the point where we could start actually seeing if anything had changed from last year. Where we kind of established last season, regular season. They can get that figured out. This year was certainly a weird one with a number of different things going on regular season-wise, and it does seem like things were starting to click. But I don't think if we do uh, this hub city thing and the Flames go on to win the Stanley Cup, it's like, see, told you. Peak it at the right time, baby. That That's that's what this Flames group was doing. And on the other side, if they lose in this, I don't think you can say, well, they obviously can't handle it in the playoffs because there's nothing you can really judge from – whatever is going to happen, whether it be a couple month layoff or no fans in the stands or everyone playing games in the same, like it's, there's nothing that you can judge from what, whatever will happen from this point forward for the 2019, 20 season that you can firmly carry into 2020, 2021. So you, you almost have to just kind of, 
I, I don't want to say like take a mulligan, but you, you do just kind of have to kick the can down the road. Maybe some improvements find their way here, but uh, even to a certain extent, we had been saying if this season ends the same way last season does, maybe you make some of those moves at the draft. There's a chance you can't do that this year. So there are a number of different reasons why you would have to, to kick that thing down the road a little bit. I I just, I I still think there's a lot of talent on this team and I still think they deserve one more playoff run to see if they can figure it out at the most important time of year. And I don't see any way that whatever is going to happen in the next couple months, we'll be able to simulate what we're looking for from this flames group, either positively or negatively. Exactly. And and that's not that's not to say that if they return and win the Stanley Cup that we'll be saying, ah, nope. Whatever city if, if they do end up having a Stanley Cup finals this year and they do and I believe they will. I, I believe there will be a Stanley Cup that's handed out to, to finish off the nineteen twenty season. I do believe that they will resume at some point in some form, whether it's twenty four teams or twenty teams or just right to sixteen teams or whatever the case may be. I do believe we're gonna see a Stanley Cup handed out this year. But okay, so that happens, and that's great. Uh, I think that a lot of people are, are going to say, well, asterisks on that one. I don't know if I'm going to be one of those people, but I know there's going to be a lot of talk about asterisks. But if the Flames were to win the Stanley Cup this year, I don't know how many Flames fans are going to be putting an asterisk on it. It'll still seem pretty sweet uh, to win the Stanley yeah. Cup. I think that and I mean, wh- look, whatever, as- whatever team's group of fans wins, um, there's going to still be elation. Look, Chicago won a Stanley Cup in a half season where they only played 48 games. Do you look back on the 2013 Cup for the Blackhawks and, and put an asterisk on it? I don't. No. No, I don't. And look, I, I'm wearing, a, for people on Instagram Live, I'm wearing the shirt of a team that people want to put uh, an asterisk on because a player wasn't in the finals. They, they played a full season up until that. Uh, and Kevin Durant's injury makes people want to, to change things up with that a little bit. So... Um, I, I would fully understand the plate of whichever team won. It would be different. It, it would 100% be different, but it, it's still a championship win, and it's still it, it's still something you don't get to experience a ton as a fan. And and certainly uh, for Flames fans, that it's been a long time. I never in my lifetime have the Flames won a Stanley Cup, so it, it would. It would it would be different, but I, I think there would still be a, a celebratory mood. But there would be people who would try to diminish it. And I, I, they, they would certainly have at least a bit of a leg to stand on. There are people who criticize the I, the Carolina Hurricanes Cup win just because everyone was still figuring out how to play with new rules and, and in the, the new era of the NHL. And they're, okay, well, that was kind of a weird one, and then things got back to normal the next year. But I, I think overall, there's no tearing down of a championship. We, we talk about it a bunch. Flags fly forever, right? So right. even if it's a weird one, it, it's still you're still beating out everyone to win a pretty important trophy that everyone is playing for. I think if they do come back, you're still going to have to win four rounds. You're still going to have to probably win 16 games to win a Stanley Cup, and who knows? If you're one of those teams that uh, maybe you have to win, uh, maybe you got to win 18 games to win the Stanley Cup this year if there's like a best of three playing to get down to a final eight. I guess my point is, is that I don't think that this year's playoffs, if there is a playoffs, is meaningless, but I also don't think that you can make it the be-all and end-all if you were going to be looking at this year as, as a real 
decision-making uh, opportunity for the core of your group. And, and I know that the yeah. I think the two main guys that are talked about more than anything else are Monaghan and Gaudreau, and whether or not those two guys can carry the load on a championship-caliber team. They, they carried a huge, huge amount of the weight on a Western Conference regular season title last year, but were very seldom heard from in five playoff games against Colorado when the team, excuse the pun, flamed out and went out in five, right? So, uh, so, and and I wasn't even, like, trying to do that. I should have stopped myself, but I still did it. Um, and and in four games against Anaheim before that, I know Monaghan scored in all one of those, in, in all four of those games against the Ducks in 17, but Gaudreau was a no-show, and Monaghan was pretty seldom heard from in the two rounds in 15. My point is, is that the playoff success for the driving forces of this young team have not been there on a regular basis, but if they don't have playoff success this year in a really weird year, I don't think that, that can be the impetus and say, okay, we know what we we figured out exactly what we need to know about this group. Now we can make our decisions. I just think yeah. you have to delay all that decision making going going forward because of the circumstances that that the league is under right now. Yeah, you want to see if those guys can handle the attrition of 82 games and then play your best hockey of the season when it matters the most. You want to see if they can go through that whole grind completely, not, okay, can they go through this grind, take a couple months off, and now come back with no fans in the stands. So there's there's no way to properly evaluate it. And, and now, if some team comes along desperate and offers you the world for something, maybe think about it. But you, I, I don't think you're shopping any of these guys um, this offseason, regardless how, how any of this plays out. And, and it, it is kind of unfortunate because I didn't want to see how how would this group bounce back after getting, quite frankly, embarrassed in five games in the, the Stanley Cup playoffs a year ago. How would those guys handle that time of year again? I, I was very much looking forward to seeing it, and I think that's one of the uh, a big unanswered question as we go into whatever we're going into next. Uh, a few texts at 960960. Uh, this one from Mike. Really liked Johnny's last couple months. He looked like old, sustainable Johnny. Did not like Monaghan's game for the entire season in the last half of last season into the playoffs. I'd explore a trade with Monaghan in the summer if the Flames are out in the first round again. Uh, this one on what the asterisks might look like if they do return. Every team would be playing the same playoffs, so a W is a W in my mind. That's kind of how I look at it. Uh, this one from Noah on Instagram Live. Considering as well with the expansion draft next season, I think will be more critical in terms of decisions to make with the core going forward. It's a good point with yep. um, with the expansion draft because there are going to be some potentially difficult decisions. Not as not as difficult as other teams, and I don't think anywhere near as difficult as the decisions that were made. Um, with the some of the teams leading up to the last expansion draft, but there might have to be a decision made, for instance, with Captain Mark Giordano, and is he a guy that you protect or expose? And so there's there's going to be some interesting decisions. Noah Hannafin, um, is is he going to be a guy that's still on this team? I think he will be. Others don't. So there there are some interesting things going forward. That's a that's a good point. Welcome to the program. Thought we'd kick that off because uh, really enjoyed the convo with Sean Monahan on the morning show today. It's up on Sportsnet.ca/slash960. He's Peter. My name is Pat Steinberg. Logan Gordon's in our basement systems downtown studio. We are uh, live on the radio, live online, sportsnet.ca slash 960 on the Radio Player Canada app. Uh, we're on your smart speaker. And uh, this week we have been uh, working with it. And I think, like, I don't know if we've perfected it, 
but we're pretty close to all the bugs out. Uh, we're on Instagram Live as well. If you want to come watch the show for the first time ever, you can do that. Steinberg1984 on Instagram. Uh, follow along, and uh, you can take a look at Klein's awesome hair. Um, and uh, I, I have shaved, so I look a whole lot more presentable. Uh, we're on Instagram Live as well if you want to come watch what the show say? this afternoon. I, I'm saying that Klein looks a little bit more unkempt than I do today, and wow. that's okay. It's a pandemic. You're allowed to be unkempt, even if you're on Instagram Live. Are you still showering once a day? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That, that's so, another... And you're I'm... doing kind of the same thing that I'm doing. Like, you're getting dressed every day, and you're you're, you're not, like, doing Clearly. work in your pajamas. And, like, you're, that, that's, you're still trying to treat it like a work day, right? Yes. Yeah. Still getting into work clothes when I start to work, and then once the, the work day is done, get into non-work clothes um so yeah trying to keep that keep the the routine as regular as possible and that's worked that's worked really well for me it's different for everybody but that's worked really well for me yeah uh, and it's been important for me to still treat like I, I i work in my office we do the i do the show from my office for the time being um at some point we'll be back in the studio but right now working from home and so the office is my office and i don't do anything else in here um and i try to still treat it like a work day it's been big for me mentally but there are you know that's that's how it works for you and i if you're more comfortable and you're like no way i do it totally different i love working in my pajamas and it's like hey whatever gets you through this stupid thing uh gets you through it i'm, I'm not gonna judge how you're coping with uh your day-to-day right now um even if yeah. it's different than mine you know i try not to judge the way you do your day-to-day prior to a pandemic so I'm certainly not going to do it during a pandemic. A um, couple of other things as we're underway on the program today. Um, are you going to uh, be watching any Bundesliga? Are you going to be watching the relaunch of the German Soccer League this weekend? I'll probably catch a couple games, yeah. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it. I, I kind of follow Bayern Munich anyway. Uh, I'm a German soccer fan, and they tend to have all of the players. So I, I keep tabs anyway, and now that it'll be readily accessible on tv basically all weekend i'll 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 check uh check out a matchup or two what about you i i think i will um i uh i i kind of fell in love with the country of germany last summer like what a spot like uh like uh, a country with some of the most um tragic and disturbing history in the history of mankind and the way that they embrace is the wrong word but the way that they um live with the um live with their history and institute it into their everyday lives you know 80 years later is is pretty inspiring it's beautiful the people are amazing uh the cities are incredible the culture is great like i i the beer is unbelievable so i i fell in love with germany last summer when i was there and um i um i was like well i'm gonna start paying more attention to Bundesliga and more attention to the German Hockey League. Um, my hockey team uh, is the Ice Baron Berlin. Um, it's the Berlin Polar Bears. They, they play in the uh, DEL. Um, nice. And, my, and, and I chose, I went way off the board with the team that I, I'm going to follow for Bundesliga soccer. I went with uh, uh, Bayern Munich is who I like. Nobody, <laughs> nobody cheers. From I'll tell you this, though. Um, you know, Munich's a huge town. Um, they've got a, a, a very, much like every German city, like a really eclectic and very diverse, uh, ethnically diverse population. 
like the one thing that everybody's got in common in Munich is Bayern Munich. Like it, it is everywhere. You go into any restaurant, you go into any bar, you go into any beer garden, and and anywhere else you go, huge uh, Bayern Munich banners. And there's like every store, like there's an Adidas uh, an Adidas store, and the first floor of the Adidas store is all Bayern Munich. That's all it is. And then the second floor might be other soccer, and that like, but it's all Bayern Munich. That is the only thing that that place cares about. And they've got a hockey yeah. team, and yeah, the hockey team is decently well supported. They've got other but it is all Bayern Munich. I was blown away. So that's that's the team that I uh, I'm jumping on the uh, the New England Patriots bandwagon in Bundesliga soccer. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm basically the same as anybody who started cheering for the Patriots when Tom Brady started. That's that's kind of who I am. Yeah, I decided to do that with soccer as well. I chose Bayern Munich for Germany, and then in the uh, English Premier League, I went Manchester United. Just I don't I don't know enough about soccer to sit through a rebuild of a, a team. So I was like, you know what? Let's just let's go with the Yankees on this one. And then Man United has fallen on tougher times than normal of late, so I couldn't even enjoy that one fully. So um, apparently, I'm cursed. But yeah, I'm I'm not I'm not sitting through a soccer rebuild. That's fair. Uh, and one other thing before we wrap our first segment today, um, there's been there's been talk, a lot of talk about Major League Baseball returning, but there's also a lot of talk about what it's going to look like and whether or not the players and the owners are going to be able to come to some sort of agreement when it comes to revenue sharing and when it comes to salaries. One guy that doesn't seem totally on board with um, a 50-50 split, they've already decided to uh, prorate their salaries because of uh, because of a shortened season. Uh, how about Blake Snell of the Tampa Bay Rays? This is him yesterday on his Twitch channel, uh, his own personal Twitch channel. Um, Blake Snell, not such a fan of the uh, proposed idea from Major League Baseball. Y'all got to understand, too, because y'all going to be like, bro, Blake, play for the love of the game, man. What's wrong with you, bro? Money should not be a thing. Bro, I'm risking my life. What do you mean it should not be a thing? It 100% should be a thing. If I'm going to play, I should be getting the money I signed to be getting paid. I should not be getting half of what I'm getting paid because the season's cut in half on top of a 33% cut of the half that's already there. So I'm really getting like 25%. On top of that, it's getting taxed. So imagine how much I'm actually making to play. You know what I'm saying? Like, I ain't making shit. And on top of that, so all that money's gone. And now I play risking my life. And and, what, and if I get the Rona, on top of that, if I get the Rona, guess what happens with that? Oh, yeah, that stay, that's in my body forever. That damage is not going to be, like, the damage that was done to my body, that's going to be there forever. So now I got to play with that on top of that. So... Y'all got, I mean, y'all got to understand, man, for me to go, for me to take a pay cut is not happening because the risk is through the roof. It's a shorter season, less pay, like, bro, it's, yeah, man, I got to, no, I got to get my money. I'm not playing unless I get mine, okay? And that's just the way it is for me. Like, I'm sorry if you guys think differently, but the risk is way the hell higher and the amount of money I make is way lower. Why would I think about doing that? It's Blake Snell of the Tampa Bay Rays. Hmm. I got to say, like, on the one hand, I think that there are things that people could understand. On the other hand, him crying poor on a $50 million contract, that that's a little bit, you know, for, for you listening at home who is currently on the CERB potentially because you've lost your job or have been temporarily temporarily laid off, how much 
Like, you know, a guy that's being told, well, yeah, you're, you know, your $7 million annual salary is going to be prorated and you might not make it all. Like, to be crying poor, I don't know if that necessarily resonates. But at the same time, I understand what he's saying about the increased risk. And But mm-hmm. I, I just I feel like any professional athlete in North America uh, in one of the four major sports who ever really starts to cry poor and, and try to make us people who are not millionaires um, – kind of understand it from their perspective it always comes off hollow and and i feel like blake snell of the tampa bay rays um yeah there was somebody texted in tone deaf and that's exactly there, there was i'm not saying that you shouldn't look out for yourself i'm not saying right. that but he wasn't just talking about that he was basically saying well yeah but i'm not going to get paid anything so why would i you're still going to get you're, you're, you're still going to get paid and you're the the amount of risk that is going to be there with i get it there's risk involved but do you know what like people at restaurants and and grocery stores and even even our healthcare workers nurses yeah. or like people who are actually on the front lines of this are are making they're not making prorated seven million dollars and maybe a little bit less because you have to do a 50 50 revenue share for one year like it, it's really hard for the um it's really hard for the average person to really resonate to have that really resonate with them i thought it came off really tone deaf talk to me all you want about the risks Kleiner, you've talked about the risks and and you're worried about the risks but like even if you have to make 30% of your extremely exorbitant salary for one year during a pandemic, I don't know how many people are going to be feeling sorry for you if that's why, like, if that's the reason that you're going to proclaim that you're not coming back solely financially. That's that's where I think it, it really rings, rings hollow for a lot of people. Yeah, and like we said yesterday, if you want to bring up the the risks and not wanting to take that risk, I have no I have no counter for that. It's okay. Yeah, no, you're you're right. Yeah, there there are absolutely risks, but to say you're not making anything when there are the highest employment rates we've seen uh, across the board in decades and decades and decades. Unemployment rates. It, Unemployment rates. Yeah, sorry. Um, just, wanted to, it, just wanted to make sure that you didn't get flamed. Right. That. Yeah. When everyone has jobs, it's really no. Um, but when unemployment rates are as high as they are, that it, it's it's just it's an awful, awful look. It's an awful take. And I'm just it, it's every it's everything that everyone was saying about the players. And then people were defending him. Hey, you know, no, like why it's not worth the risk. Okay, cool. But he just said everything that everyone is assuming the players are thinking anyway. And it's just, it's so hard to back it when that is your only reason. When you're going out there and like, I I think the, oh, these are millionaires. They should be able to handle X, Y, and Z is one of the more overplayed fan um, defenses or whatever in anything in, in sports right now. But to have a guy saying he's not making bleep when he's going to have the best medical care anyone could possibly have around him, taking tests away from people who desperately need them so they can go out and play baseball. It's just the absolute worst. And I'm too comfortable at home and I almost swore, but oh my God, it's the worst. Oh, it's here so are a, a few texts as we so go bad. to break. He's um, so stupid. 
Blake Snell, what a tone-deaf loser. Don't play the next man up. Try crunching those numbers again, but minim- at a minimum wage, loser. <laughs> That's uh, That one's very well pointed at Blake Snell. Uh, this, res- uh, this less risk than a grocery store worker. Um, this, how much would he make if they don't play at all? Um, the guy is greedy. This guy says, hey, they're supervised by the best doctors in the country. Guys playing baseball, not going to Nam. Uh, and then this one, I like this one. It's a it's a classic Jim Rome one. Uh, we make a lot of money, but we spend a lot of money. That was uh, it's the Jim Rome drop, and I believe it was Patrick Ewing who said it. And they're like, yeah, well, w- we make a lot of money, but we spend a lot of money, like justifying this. Yeah. <laughs> well, that doesn't help at all. Uh, right. That's kind it's of like that line the- from the. Um- it's like that line from the replacements. You guys know how much insurance on a Maserati is? Like, really? Come on. This uh, this reads, check out Sean Doolittle's tweet about it. I don't agree with either the owners or the players because they're all rich and we're poor. That's a good point. Like, you're still here for the average person's entertainment when it's all said and done. And the average person, not everybody, but the average sports fan, there are lots of average sports fans like you and me and you listening who just want baseball back to be distracted from the crap that is the everyday life right now in the midst of a once-in-a-lifetime pandemic. That's why it rings so hollow. Anyway, we'll yeah. take a break. Uh, we got Chris Johnston coming up next. Uh, he's Peter Klein. My name is Pat Steinberg. Logan Gordon's back at the Basement Systems downtown studio. Come through on Instagram Live if you want to lo- watch for a little bit of the show as well. Uh, we are uh, streaming on IG Live as well with uh, our ugly mugs at Steinberg1984. Chris Johnston, our NHL insider, with the latest on the NHL. Next, Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Pinder and Steinberg continues on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Let's say hello to our NHL insider, Chris Johnston, from Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. He joins us every Tuesday and Thursday here on the program. Mr. Johnston, uh, I'll I'll kick it off with the uh, way we kick it off a lot of the time, but here we are. We talked to you 48 hours ago. Uh, Since that time, the return to play committee has met a couple of times. What's the buzz? What's the latest in terms of an NHL restart at this period in time? Well, it sounds like the latest is the league has told teams that they're hoping by next week to be able to to spell out a little more clearly when they they plan to move into phase two, which is the the small group setting uh, where players can start working out of facilities and then at least give, I think, a little better indication of when phase three might start, which is what we'll probably call mini training camps or, or training camps. And so, you know, a lot of what's what's been done this week, I think, has been around you know modeling that out and you know obviously the players having a say and and what everything's looking like but you know the the league does want to give teams i think a little clearer picture and and not have this feel so uh up in the air i guess uh, at this point in time um you know as it's been really since since the the season went on pause so i think that they're getting a little closer to, to giving some dates and i would expect you'll see phase two probably at some point in june at least uh, what I've heard from a few people that work for teams is what they're okay. thinking. And, you know, maybe at this point it, it's it's tentative. It's far from hammered in, but maybe some training camps in, in June and into July type of thing. Uh, 
So, the, and I know that these things are moving targets, and and you probably don't have a document in front of in front of you. But what does what what do each of the stages like? We're in stage one now, correct? And then mm-hmm. what happens in stage two? Uh, what are the steps from two to th- one to two, two to three, so on and so forth? Well, stage two essentially is is where the NBA has started now, and and that's when you know, teams can, can open up their, you know, either their arenas or practice facilities to players. There's, there's really strict, um, you know, rules around it in the NBA. You know, in fact, it's only one coach and one player at a time uh, that are allowed in the building to, to go through a workout, obviously shooting baskets or, or what have you. I, I would assume it's something similar to that in a hockey setting where maybe you can get a couple guys, but, you know, out on the ice skating or using uh, the, the gym equipment. And, you know, you do that for a period of time. And then, you know, ultimately, you know, what the leagues are waiting for is the ability to hold something like a training camp. And to do that, you're going to need to see restrictions lifted that, you know, allow whatever it is, 30, 40, 50 people in the same building at the same time to go through a training camp. And I think in the NHL's case, you know, it's not decided, but, you know, it's likely that would be in a bubble scenario that, you know, once you get to training camp, uh, essentially, all the, the players and teams are, are living together in a very controlled environment and go through that. And then stage four would be the resumption of play. Um, so it is stage one now. So in a sense, nothing's changed since March 12th, but I, I think that the league is preparing to start, you know, going through those other stages and, and making a move here in the next few weeks towards, you know, trying to, to get the season back up and going. Um there's been a lot made of what Tampa Bay Rays pitcher Blake Snell said yesterday about risks and, and money and all that type of stuff about returning. We've asked you a few times about player pushback, and I was actually listening to you on um, on with the boys yesterday on writer's block, and, and do, do you get the sense that there's anywhere near the same type of player pushback as we're hearing might exist in Major League Baseball about a return to play there? Behind the scenes, there definitely is some of that. Um, you know, I do know last week there was a call uh, that the players were on with, with the NHLPA, and there was some guys on that call that, that you know, I guess aired some concerns or asked questions or maybe even expressed, um, you know, whether that they weren't all that thrilled about it. I, I don't get the feeling, though, that it's it's a huge number, and certainly – I, I don't think it's from, you know, the teams that are likely to be involved in this. I mean, publicly in the media, we, we've heard a couple members of the Montreal Canadiens, you know, say that. And, and, you know, at the point when they were talking, I don't think that they realized that they were likely to be part of the playoffs, uh, which they would be in, in the 2014 yeah. setup. That, that does seem to be the favored one now. But when they were making those comments, I think that they thought they were coming back to finish out a regular season and likely not be part of the playoff picture because, you know, they were a fair bit out when the season was paused. You know, I, I don't know that there's that many players, though, on teams that know for sure they would be coming back to play in the playoffs that, you know, feel strongly enough about it to, to say the type of things we saw Blake Snell say. Um, you know, I, there must be some, though. You know, I haven't heard it with my own ears. But I am aware, certainly, of, of hearing of some guys on team chats and the like, you know, just just having some, some worry about this. And I think it's totally justified. I mean, before this can ever truly happen, I think the league has to – you know, make assurances to the players, um, you know, really try to make them comfortable with all the conditions around what it's going to look like and why it's safe and, and you know, the precautions they're going to take, how they're going to handle. Obviously, the big question still is how they're going to handle 
positive tests and what that might mean. You know, I don't think that's really been answered yet. And I do know it's something players are concerned about. Um, so, you know, that, that will be part of it, but I, I don't get any feeling that there's a movement growing, say that would squash this plan. If, if the health authorities say it's, it's okay for the NHL to do so. Um, I, I do think, in fact, if you've heard, if anything, you know, a number of players come out and say they're willing to, to do just about anything that's safe to, to find a way to play and that, you know, they, they don't mind, you know, what's going on. So, you know, within 700 players plus in a union, there, there's going to be some different viewpoints. But I think overall, the, the NHL players are in favor of resuming the season if it can be done in, the, in, in a safe manner. Gary Bettman made some comments while doing a, uh, I, I believe, a web chat with some San Jose uh, business investors and, and some of their business community. And essentially his words were that I'm not even contemplating canceling the season. Now, I think that that is, is what you'd hear from any commissioner in a situation like this. But what did you make of, of Gary Bettman's comments uh, to those folks in San Jose? I, I took it pretty much on surface value is, is this is what we should all expect. And, you know, look, I've, you know, and I know I've aired the, the opinion on here a number of times since this started, I, I've been a bit more pessimistic in general throughout this about the ability to get back. But, you know, it's very clear that the league, you know, doesn't, doesn't see any of that. Uh, doesn't feel that, you know, hasn't proceeded in that manner. And I think, if anything, now that they're getting a little closer to where it's not so much hypothetical about, you know, having most of the, the team facilities be able to open, start to get players back in their playing cities and observing quarantines and, you know, actually getting a bit of action, you know, potentially, uh, you know, as soon as June, I, I would think or early June, we might start seeing that. I mean, it's going to embolden them even more towards, you know, seeing this become a reality. So I'm with you. I think it's it's not surprising for someone in Gary's job to, to think that way but but he's also you know been pretty careful over the years with what he says and and you know there's not very many accidental words or sentiments that come out of the commissioner's yep. mouth he's a very smart guy and you know obviously isn't prone to putting his foot in his mouth so i think it really i, I do take it at face value that that he believes that's where this is headed you know there's a lot of other people around the industry that feel that way too i think there's probably a little bit more optimism in the air of late and you know especially with the the league being able to use some of the fall to finish off, uh, you know, a playoff tournament. They just feel there's enough time here to, to iron out all the logistical issues that will no doubt still present themselves and, and find a way to complete this playoff tournament. They think it can be done in basically two months from the time it starts. So if you end up starting in the first, you know, right at the start of August, say, it's done by the end of September and you're, you're able to start the next season by December, which I think is kind of the, mm-hmm. at least in, in their minds, you know, the, the ideal scenario from where we stand today. I know that one of the big things that you you see a lot on social media is you know anytime one you or Elliot or uh, Bob or or Pierre will come out with a, a piece of news on what's happening NHL wise. There's always those detractors say cancel it now. The borders will never be open. All that type of stuff. I am interested in the border side of things. It's my belief that like for this to happen, um, there, there's going to need to be some sort of exemption uh, that the Canadian government is going to have to grant to, to an X amount of players to be able and, and staff to be able to come to certain hub cities. I believe that's realistic, but are you, are you hearing anything on chats with the NHL and, and the federal government about, those types of things well i do know the league has kept the government you know pretty apprised of the plans and so you know it's not to say it's a foregone conclusion that that would happen but i do think that there is a scenario where even if the border 
isn't open that there could be some special dispensation granted uh, to players and staff to to allow this to happen. And, and you know, the key is it's not going to get to July 20th and the Canadian government's going to first hear about this idea and they have to make a quick decision. I think, you know, behind the scenes, um, you know, the, the, the government's well aware of what the NHL's thinking, of how they want to execute it, of the fact that, you know, as of I've heard, that they are anxious to use at least a couple Canadian cities if, if they go the hub city route, um, you know, in, in part because it, it helps, um, you know, offset the cost with, with the American dollar being so strong compared to the Canadian dollar. I think there's also a few cities where, you know, really you, you haven't seen large outbreaks at this point and there's some, some ideal setup potential, especially somewhere like Edmonton, um, to, to create uh, the bubble in a, in a first-class facility. So, um, you know, I, I think that I'm with you. It's, it's probably going to take something special here. You know, the one thing about the NHL uh, that, that people might not think about actively is just having so many Canadians, having so many Europeans in the league, uh, having seven Canadian teams and 24 in the U.S. You know, it's got some some different challenges baked in than, than baseball does or, or the NBA, you know, where obviously you just got one team north of the border and in and, and those two uh, situations. And I think that there's easier ways to deal with that. I mean, this, the NHL is, is going to deal way more with the Canadian government um, than, than any of the, yeah. the leagues say, other than, than something like the CFL, for example, which I know is asking for money. But, um, you know, I, I would just think with how important it is to the largest cities in our country um, that, that the government will work with the league. And, and I do think that there's a solution to be had there, assuming everything goes in a positive direction. I mean, in a lot of jurisdictions, even here in Ontario, where we've had, you know, a higher number of cases than pretty much everywhere but Quebec in the country, I mean, it, the, the trend is in a positive direction right now. I think as long as that continues to be the case and, and you know, this is kept relatively under control, you know, you could see, um, you know, we're already seeing golf courses open and all over the country and other things. I think a couple months down the road, it's, it's fair to imagine that, uh, hockey players will probably be permitted to travel for, for the purpose of restarting their season. Yeah, and and it's funny. I never even thought about the um, American dollar relatively to the Canadian dollar and how attractive that would be for the NHL to do hub city stuff in Canada for that reason. I'd never even thought about that, which is a really interesting point as well. Chris Johnston. Well, and managing costs is, is important yeah. too, right? I mean, I think that's a, it's a key part of the discussion with the players and the owners because if you're doing this, you're trying to make as much money back as you can, and that involves – keeping the cost as, as under control as possible, too. It's, uh, it's a really interesting side note to it. Chris Johnston's with us, our NHL insider from Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. Joins us Tuesdays and Thursdays, Mr. Klein. Uh, Chris, we, we've talked about TV broadcasts a little bit before, but w- with Fox uh, coming out and saying we could have like piped-in crowd noise on their TV broadcasts, I believe uh, some Bundesliga teams are going to have cardboard cutouts of fans at, at their games. Um, I, I guess, A, how different are we expecting these broadcasts to look for the NHL? And B, if they go the cardboard cutout way, how do we get 20,000 Pat Steinberg cutouts at a game in Edmonton? Uh, well, we'll get working on that soon because we're going to have to get those printed well in advance. But uh, right. you know, I think all that stuff is definitely on the table um, for our bosses and for the NBC bosses. To me, what will be most interesting about the potential for the hockey broadcast is, is being able to move cameras in all different parts of an arena where normally you're not able to do so because of the fans that are, that are in the building. I think we'll see a lot of different camera angles used um, you know, in this scenario. I mean, whether it's to finish off this season or even starting next year. I think it's, it's reasonable to assume that the next meaningful NHL game played will probably be in a, a no-fan 
situation. And, and, you know, it's, it's going to be an important job, I think under that scenario for how the game is broadcast. It can't just be the same product. I think that would be a missed opportunity. And also, you know, we would probably expect larger TV audiences, uh, you know, for these games too. So I think that there's, um, you know, a lot riding on it for, for Sportsnet NBC in particular on the national level. And, you know, they've, they're already experimenting behind the scenes with what, you know, what it might look like or sound like, you know, can you get the ambient fan noise to, to not feel like a really bad laugh track on an 80s sitcom? Is there a way to, to make it feel a little bit more normal? And then, you know, I think you will see some changes and, and, you know, the, the, the neat thing about the camera angle one is potentially they find something that they would never have otherwise had a chance to find that can be incorporated even once fans are back in the building with changing some of the configurations. So, you know, there is going to be silver linings in all of this as, as weird as it is and as challenging as, as this has been, I think there is opportunity here, um, you know, when, when things get back and, and especially from the television side, you know, I assume we're going to have more players, Mike, um, you know, you, you're probably going to have some of that, added fan noise and you know we'll get a bunch of pat steinberg cutouts cheering on the oilers there in the first round of the playoffs <laughs> yeah, cheering on the just oilers. a bunch of different poses from like the arnold classic <laughs> and stuff like that i think would be uh i think would be fantastic uh you guys were talking about the the hub cities a little bit earlier uh the the premier of bc came out and said that he's offered to have all of bc be a, a hub for the nhl have, have they discussed having like all all 30 or all 24 or whatever in, in different cities, but maybe all of those being close together? It might be on the table now. You know, I hadn't heard that prior to those comments, you know, from the discussions from the NHL. I think the, the, the thought process all along was that there would be no way to have everyone in one place or that many people in one place and, and have enough facilities, enough practice ice, enough dressing room space enough, you know, hotel amenities that that would be up to the standard of, of players. And, and, you know, maybe BC does have a way to unlock that. Um, but, you know, it, I haven't heard that being something the NHL had, had really been looking at. I mean, obviously the NBA is sort of targeted that model. It sounds like they're looking at doing it all either in a place like Vegas, where it's probably the one place on earth you could, you know, make this happen just because of how, how geared it is uh, towards, entertainment and, 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 you know, hosting people. Um, but, but maybe, you know, they've talked about doing it there and splitting it with Orlando. Um, but, you know, they have a lot fewer people and, and they're even talking about potentially playoffs that, you know, see the teams reduced rather than what the NHL is looking at, which is 24 teams. So you know, I think it would be difficult to pull off, but, but Vancouver for a lot of reasons, you know, could be one of those Canadian cities. I mean, it falls into the category of, you know, checking some boxes uh, for the league in, in terms of, um, you know, the cost associated with it. And, and you know, they, they seem to have done a really good job in BC of, you know, not, uh, you know, not having crazy spread of COVID-19 and, and, you know, made that a safe place to, to, to harbor people. So, you know, it doesn't sound like the league has made any firm decisions. I don't think they've even sort of quote unquote cut any of the, the, the 12 or so teams that put forward uh, the 12 or so cities that put forward bids uh, to have this, but, you know, it's pretty clear uh, BC is being aggressive and trying to trying to go for a hail mary here. Uh, and any updates on the the NHL draft and when we might be seeing that? Well, I mean, it, certainly what we originally thought, which was early June, is is come and gone as an option. You know, I think now you're, you're probably still looking at at the potential for a late June draft. You know, I'm personally of the belief, just from the the conversations I've had, that they're still going to do this before the season's resumed. 
even though they have taken a step back from, you know, what looked like a pretty, you know, when they, when they sent that memo around on May 1st, Bill Daly, it, you know, it really looked like that was going to be the plan and they were going to, you know, turn the switch and, and be aggressively planning for a draft on June 5th or 6th. Uh, you know, they've instead now, after hearing some more, um, you know, feeling some more questions from, from league owners, I think have taken some time to work through those issues, to to talk things out, to not maybe have it be as rushed. But, you know, I still think it's likely we see this happen uh, at some point before, um, you know, play resumes before the playoffs are had. And if that, that happens, it's, you're, we're probably looking at, at late June as opposed to uh, early June. And, you know, I think next week or so, wouldn't surprise me if we if we got some kind of resolution there and a, and a firm decision. Chris Johnston's with us, our NHL Insider Tuesdays and Thursdays here on Pinder and Steinberg. One of the one of the things we haven't talked to you about when it comes to the draft, and and I am somewhat fascinated on this because we've heard about how much pushback there has been from a large number of general managers. So let's let's say that the NHL says okay yeah we we heard you and and we we definitely took your concern seriously but um here's when the draft is happening it's happening in june deal with it like are are there any potential consequences for <laughs> pissing off a, a large chunk of the gms or does the nhl hold the ultimate hammer here i think they hold the hammer you know the, this is a league that that you know the commissioner's office has a lot of power in and i don't think very much of consequence goes on you know, in this in this league, without you know Gary Bettman and Bill Daly and the, the people that work for them being comfortable with it, um, you know, and and you know, I think that the commissioner has the, the support of the owners of the, of the league, and that's that's all he really needs to maintain to do his job. And and so, you know, obviously the GMs are, are valued; they're the ones who, you know, especially in March, you know, really comb over rules. And when there's rule changes to be made, a lot of that is initiated at at the GM's level. But um, you know, I, I don't I don't see any real repercussions here other than stepping on some toes. I think they're going to step on some toes either way, no matter, you know, what's decided. This this is not an ideal set of circumstances. It's it's going to be really hard to to keep everybody happy. And, and you know, I think the main complaint, honestly, for GMs, I mean, we can comb through everything, but just the idea that it, it's taking away a major opportunity for them to remake their teams and, and to right. make the, the, the kind of trades. I think, you know, the, again, there's a variety of issues, but I think that that's probably – the overwhelming issue and, and, you know, the league's position on that is you're still going to have that same chance. It's going to be like a draft week, I guess, when, when the season ends, whenever the next off season is, you know, the problem is of course you don't have immediate draft choices to, to trade on the moment, which I think is part of what spurs some of that action. You know, when you, when you see, for example, you know, New Jersey and, and Vancouver made the big uh, Corey Schneider deal years ago on the draft floor, Vancouver got the seventh or eighth overall pick right in that moment, was able to, to draft, I think, Bo Horvat at that point in time right away with that pick. I mean, there's some present value of the pick that, that I think sometimes makes those trades a little easier to pull off that, that it's hard mm-hmm. to do when you're you're away from the draft. But, you know, unfortunately, that's probably going to be one of the things, I guess, everyone just has to live with. And there'll probably be more grumbling over uh, adult beverage or two, but I don't see any real pushback or any – any huge consequences for the league if, if, in fact, they do hold this draft in late June. 
One more for you, and it's just I, I've I've thought about this, and it's because because Klein asked you about you know the differences in broadcasting. Have you uh, have you thought about it? I, mean, I would assume that you would be asked to do some coverage, whether it is remotely or at the studio in Toronto. But you know we've asked Elliot about this. If you were asked to be in a hub city and and you had to be cut off from the outside world for an X amount of time, is is that something that you would uh, you'd be able to do is that something that you would uh, em- I don't know if embrace is the right word but would be okay doing? Oh yeah, I'd do it enthusiastically. I mean, this is this is my life, this is my work, and and I love it. So, you know, obviously I I need to know some of the details, I guess. But but you know, let's face it, my bag's already packed. If that opportunity's put to me, I haven't nice. had any of those nice. discussions, and I don't know. I really don't even know what the NHL's plan is for. You know, media, you know, obviously we're, we're rights holders. I mean, I, I would imagine if you're having no fans in the building, they'll, they'll certainly want to have some coverage on the ground. And, you know, to me, it would just be a really unique opportunity to see something that, that probably will never happen again, certainly in our lifetimes. And, and so, you know, I, I, I would I would be signing up if, if you know, the, the option was put to me. And let's face it, I hope, I hope that happens, not just because it would mean I get to go, but it would mean that we get the games back. And that's that's the most important thing anyway, right now. I'm, I'm, I'm slowly coming over to the side that I I really want to see that outcome because it's been too long since we've uh, had a meaningful hockey game to watch and and think about. I'm with you. And, and I, you know, I, I don't think that I would necessarily be going. I I would, in fact, I don't think I would be by any stretch of the imagination, but if I did have that opportunity, I'm with you. I, I would jump at it. No questions asked. You're a good man, CJ. We'll talk to you Tuesday. Is it a long weekend in, in Ontario? It is, although it just feels like one huge long weekend at this point in time. So if you need to call me Monday, don't worry about it. I'm, I'm in. Uh, we'll enjoy your long weekend, uh, even though weekends aren't as fun as they used to be. We'll talk to you Tuesday. All right. See you, boys. Thanks for having me. Chris Johnston, our NHL insider Tuesdays and Thursdays here on Pinder and Steinberg. Uh, lots of good stuff about the draft and uh, the, the hurdles the NHL continues to face if they want to return to play. He's Peter Klein. My name is Pat Steinberg. This is Pinder and Steinberg. Happy Thursday on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Back to Pinder and Steinberg. Calgary Sports Talk in the afternoon. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Welcome back to the program, and uh, I don't know if we are pulling our next guest off the golf course, if he is on it right now, or if he is uh, finished what I believe is his first round since uh, Alberta golf courses have, uh, have you know, uh, been able to reopen. We welcome in the uh, radio voice of the Calgary Flames, Derek Wills, to the program today. Hello, Mr. Wills. Are you still on the course? What is happening right now? No, I'm done. I'm done. Okay. How'd you and, shoot your first uh, round of the year? Not, not well. Nope. <laughs> I hadn't picked up a club since last September. Now, I was able to get my handicap down to uh, an all-time low 3.8 uh, by shooting Like you're almost you're almost a scratch golf just to just to no. talk, like you're almost a scratch golfer here. No. Theo's a scratch golfer. You want to you want to see a good golfer? Play with Theron Flurry. He's a heck of a golfer. Uh, I'm a hack compared to him, but I played pretty well last year and and got down to a 3.8 index. And uh, I hadn't picked up a club since the 72 and 75 day in the year. So, like, literally didn't hit a pot, didn't go to the range. You can't go to the driving range. You can't practice right now. So I, I didn't have high expectations today, but I had higher expectations than an 89. I must admit that. Too many triple bogeys on my card, but I'll tell you what, it was great to get out. Pretty Springs is in amazing shape. And uh, just getting a good walk in, getting some fresh air and a little 
vitamin D was awesome. I um, it's funny. I, we we had Wes Gilbertson on about a week and a half ago, and Wes has been covering this story about golf returning, and and it was really of all the things that that opened back up in this province, golf was number one. Just tell us that like how much different is it playing around with social distancing measures in place and all that type of stuff? Is it significantly different than than what we're used to playing around a golf? Yeah, it's a little bit different, but. Really, I'm, I'm not sure there's another sport, maybe tennis, but I'm not sure there's a, a better sport to actually social distance than golf because it's fairly easy to do. I mean, it's, it's difficult to kind of break the old habits that you have, whether it be giving a guy a fist bump or a high five after he makes a birdie or you know, shaking their hands on the first tee or, or on the 18th green, those types of things, not grabbing the flag, although last year you were allowed to play with the flag in, so... That kind of helped me change some of my old habits. But I think it's actually a really good sport for the the times we're living in right now. So they they spread the tee times out a little bit more. The first tee time at at Curtis Greens today wasn't until 10 o'clock. So they were able to get all the maintenance staff out there, get the course into great shape. And and we were actually the first group off today. And then it's social distancing on the course. So stay two meters apart. Uh, you can't touch the flag, but they've got this really cool little device. It's like a hook, and, and it pulls the cup out. So you just grab it with the end of your putter, don't have to touch the flag at all, and then your ball comes out, and, and you either bend down and pick it up, or you grab it with your putter like I do, and, and off you go. But and, and if you want to ride in a cart, if you don't live in the same household, you have to take separate carts. Now, I like to walk, so it's easy for me, but I think the golf courses have done a really good job making sure that everybody continues to to social distance. But I also think it's a great opportunity for people to get outside, do something they love, get some exercise, get some some sun. So i got to tell you, I'm I'm used to going from hockey to golf, golf to hockey. So the last couple of months have been difficult for me with no hockey and no golf. So getting out and playing around today was, uh, was a real godsend for me. And I know a lot of people feel the same way. So let, let's let's get into the round a little bit more. What do we need to work on for the next one now that we, we've knocked some of the rust <laughs> off? Well, let's get a scattering report so we can we can improve here. Well, I, I started with a par, but here's the thing. Uh, the first hole was closed, so you had to take a par, depending on your handicap, maybe <laughs> a bogey. So I started with a par, so that was good. And then it went double, triple. So, yeah, holes two and three weren't very good. And then I put five straight pars together, and then I tripled nine. So... As far as that sandwich was concerned, the bread was really stale, but the meat was pretty good. And then just a bunch of bogeys in the back, basically. So I think I was eight over on the back, nine over on the front. So add them up, 89. Not a good score, but again, great to get out. And uh, I kind of wonder what my golf season is going to look like, guys, because you know there's a a lot of buzz around the NHL returning. And I'm guessing if that happens, it's going to be in July or August, which is normally prime time for golf. So I better get my golf in before that, huh? Yeah, and and I like we just talked to Chris Johnston in the last segment, and there there seems to be a a fairly like the more and more you talk to people in the know, 
the more you you hear that like it sure does seem like at some point the NHL is going to return this season and it's going to be summer hockey and it's going to be weird and, and next season's probably not going to start until December and it's going to be shortened and the whole thing is going to be weird for a little while but it sure does it sure does sound like the NHL is 100% committed to giving out a Stanley Cup this year I don't know what that looks like I don't know how this playoff format looks I don't know if they're going to be able to get regular season games in but that is that is the feeling that you're getting right now when you talk to those who are most plugged into things yeah, and Gary Bettman did a, a Q&A with mm-hmm. some stakeholders in San Jose last night, and I'm sure you guys have talked about this, but you know, basically he said, and this is paraphrasing, that canceling the rest of the season isn't even an option for him at this point. It's, it's all about finding solutions, trying to find ways to complete, if not the regular season, then to at least hand out the Stanley Cup. So uh, it's really optimistic when you hear things like that, but for me there's also a lot of questions that still have to be answered. I mean, I know there's a NASCAR race this weekend, right? But a little bit easier to social distance in a NASCAR than when you've got 12 players and and three officials on the ice. Now, as Brad Trelevin mentioned earlier this week when he was on Boomer in the Morning, all players in the NHL have been in self-quarantine since this started. So you would assume that no players would have COVID-19. Maybe that is something I shouldn't assume, but you would think that if they've been practicing social distancing for the last couple of months that would be the case so you would hope to at least start in a good spot but but what do the playoffs look like you know do they finish the regular season if they don't how many teams get in do they cut it off at the 16 teams point wise that would be in if the season were over now do they cut it off at the 16 teams point percentage wise that would be in flames are in either way so i guess that's the good news for hockey fans here in calgary but for example if you're in winnipeg and the Jets are just percentage points out of a playoff spot. You must be thinking, geez, with the, the games we had left in the regular season schedule, we would have had a great chance to get in. But if you let them in, how many other teams are going to try to make that case? So I'm really fascinated by, by what's ahead and, and by how the league handles this whole process and, and what everything looks like, especially if they jump right into the playoffs. Well, it sounds like it sounds like if they were to do something, it's going to be like a, a 24-team playoff, and and yeah. that were a 20-team playoff, and there's probably going to be play-in rounds and buys and stuff like that. So, the Flames, based on their positioning, are probably going to be in some sort of best-of-three play-in to try to get into the top 16 and then start the playoffs. I just, I which I'm fine with. Like, I know that people don't like the potential watering down of the playoffs with 24 teams. I just. It's it's a pandemic. Like live with it. It's different. Yeah. It's going to have to be different. But my, I, I guess I, I, I'm just. I don't think that resuming the regular season a makes any sense, and and b is feasible. Like if you're going to be doing this hub city thing, how do you resume the regular season if you're only playing the teams in your hub? Like Calgary had three games against the Islanders, Devils, and Rangers next up on their schedule. Like mm-hmm. wh- what are they? Like what are they going to do? They're going to just all of a sudden fly to the. Of course they're not. So they're going to revamp the schedule so they play the Oilers a bunch more times it just it, it makes no sense to me I know that you don't want to lose some of the television revenue by not finishing the regular season but I just don't see how it's feasible to do so either do I and and if you're on a team that realistically has no chance to get to the playoffs do you really want to come back and play I, I, I just can't see it and I can't see teams or the league being able to convince the players or the players association that 
players from the Red Wings. Now, they're the only team mathematically eliminated from the playoffs, so maybe they're a bad example. But teams from the Sen- like the Senators or the Devils, that their players are going to want to come back and play knowing they have no chance to get in. I mean, they've had a two-month break. It could be a three, three-and-a-half-month break by the time things start up again. So I'm with you, Pat. I, I really don't think there's going to be a conclusion to the regular season. And we'll see what happens as far as the playoffs. I mean, it would be great to call hockey games, even if those games were being played in July, August, September, October. And and then I guess the next question would have to be, when does the 2021 season start? When would you have to start that to finish it at a reasonable time? And I know you can eliminate the all-star break and the CBA break and get nine days back there, but it would have to be a pretty compact schedule. If, if they were to start in, in I don't December, think they'll play 82. Like I think I think next year is probably closer to 70 than than 82. It sounds like it sounds like uh, December or January is what they're looking right. at right now. And I just don't like. And and even if you play 70, you're probably not finishing the season until late June or early July when they raise the Stanley Cup. I just I I would I would be shocked if they play 82 next season. And and that's yeah. even if they don't resume the season this season. I feel like next year might be a scenario where they they have to wait because when are fans going to be allowed back in buildings, right? Well, and I guess that's why I really am optimistic that they're going to finish this season because they're not all that worried about pushing back the start of next season because if they push it back, I think there's a way greater chance that they're going to be allowed to have fans inside of arenas again. I mean, if the season starts in October like it normally does, I, I just I can't see 20,000 people in a building by that time. But if it starts in December or in January, I could potentially see that happening. So, I mean, it, it just it raises so many questions for me. And let's assume that they do in some way, shape, or form, finish this 2019-2020 season. What's it going to be like? Calling games, watching games with no fans in the building. Even just from a, a selfish perspective, from a broadcaster's perspective, if we are in the building, how does one broadcast crew not bleed over another broadcast crew and there's no fans to kind of drown them out? That, mm-hmm. That's a question that I've asked myself. And, and maybe it's just one television crew that gets to call games in the arena and then radio crews are, are calling games off monitors. So, and, and what, what do they sound like? Will the NHLPA give the NHL permission to, to really jack up the ice effects so that we hear more sticks, pucks crashing and banging and, and more of what the players have to say on the ice? Because I got to think that with some of the stuff that's said down there, some players might be a little hesitant to, to crank up those crowd mics or ice effects. So, We'll see. It's going to be interesting. Just listening to trending now, as a matter of fact, the, the NFL talking about, you know, trying to find a way to make it look like there's people sitting inside of stadiums. I'm not sure I love that idea because we all know that's not actually going to be happening. Yeah. And then talking about pumping in effects. That's another really interesting question. Just from a broadcast perspective, I know that for me, the the fans inside the building, especially when you get into a great building like Scotiabank Saddledome, they're like, almost an honorary member of the broadcast team. And, Pat, I know you look at it the same way because the energy they bring, I always get Tim Khalil to crank up the crowd mics as much as possible because I want the fans to be part of our broadcast. So mm-hmm. it's going to be really interesting. But, hey, if, if we have to settle for calling games in empty buildings and off a monitor to get some more hockey in this year, I know I'd take that deal. Derek Wills is with us, radio voice of the Calgary Flames on Pinder and Steinberg this afternoon. Mr. Klein. We just asked CJ this question, and I'll ask it to you. Um, if they say, okay, 
we're we're back. Let's get this thing going in, in a month or so. Would you be willing to to go into a, a place where all these athletes are and call the games, or or would that be something that would be a little uncomfortable at this time? No, I would absolutely be willing to do it, and I hope that if if the NHL starts up again, I have an opportunity to do that. I'd much rather call a game from an arena, even if it's an empty arena, than out of a studio. It's just way more difficult uh, to get into it, and trust me, I, I've, I don't want to say I've learned the hard way, but in, in a way I have. The Flames have asked me to call a few simulated NHL 20 games, and I've got a big TV screen downstairs. You guys have both seen it. But it's still really difficult to call games off of a screen in comparison to calling games out of an arena. Even an arena like Rogers Place at Edmonton, where you're almost in Red Deer, you're so far away from the ice surface. But I'd much rather call games from there than I would off a television screen. It, it's just way more difficult to get into it and, and a lot harder to see what happen, what's happening. So uh, I would absolutely be willing to do it because I believe that if the league is willing to send their managers and coaches and players and staff to Edmonton or Vancouver or Toronto or wherever to, to be in a hub to play some games, that they have consulted with the right people, the right medical people, and determined that it's safe. So if it's safe for them, I think it's safe for me. One thing Pat and I have discussed so far in the show is that this was supposed to be a pretty important year, and specifically this time was supposed to be a very important time for some core members of the Calgary Flames. This is obviously not going to look a lot like what we were expecting this time of year to look like if we do come back. So how do you assess the the 1920 Calgary Flames, knowing that the time where we were all waiting to see how they would respond is going to look different than what we were expecting? You know what? It's been so long since, you know, we've been around the team on a daily basis that you almost forget all the things that the Flames had to go through this season on the ice and off the ice. I mean, it it all kind of started, I guess, and this wasn't as big a deal as some other things were, but with Yusuf Alamaki's injury during his off-season training, you know, the Flames were hopeful that he was going to be a big part of their team this season, and chances are he won't play a game for them in 2019-2020. So that was kind of the first negative domino that fell, and then there was T.J. Brody collapsing on the ice at practice. That was something that really scared all of us, especially those of us that were in the building and saw it happen. There was the whole Bill Peters situation. Uh, obviously, a lot of talk about some of the star players. Johnny Gaudreau probably more more often than not was getting criticized because he wasn't playing up to his very high standards. So this was a team that went through a lot of adversity this season. And, and I really do think that it made them stronger and that it brought them together. And I think we were starting to see that. Even Gaudreau and you know guys like Sean Monaghan, who I – think was having a better season than, than most people would give him credit for with the way he improved defensively and physicality wise and, and his play without the puck. But, you know, some of the flame star players who weren't producing at their usual levels were starting to turn the corner and come around. So I was starting to get pretty excited about this team heading towards what I assumed would be another Stanley cup playoff berth. but who knows? Uh, I mean, giving them a grade at this point in time is really difficult because for me, the expectations for this team were that they would get to the playoffs and hopefully take the next step and win at least one round. So I have a hard time evaluating the 2019-2020 Flames without playoff games. And, and I think it's going to be difficult to evaluate every team in the league this year because even if they do play some playoff games, I think it's going to be maybe not a toss-up, but I think the, 
the, the fight for the Stanley Cup this season will be more wide open than it's ever been before. Because who knows what guys have been doing during the spring. You know, some players on some teams might be digging in and, and training harder than ever, and, and other guys might be having a few too many pops. So who the heck knows what players are going to look like, what teams are going to look like when they come back. So I, I have a, a difficult time giving them uh, – a letter grade as far as what they've accomplished to this point in the season. I'd give them a passing grade, Kleiner, but going beyond that, it's tough for me without playoffs. One more for you, Mr. Wills, and, and you, uh, you'll you find a um, uh, somebody who's in a similar mindset as you and Peter Klein in the fact that you know neither of you are big on the idea of a draft before the NHL resumes a season and let's go on the assumption that the NHL does not does resume and we do get to see them play again this year um, you you don't like the idea of a draft sometime in June I would be the dissenter among the three of us I think it would be – I'm mostly doing it because I'm selfish, but it would be huge <laughs> for content. Um, but, again, like I just – I also think it would be big for the league from a business standpoint. So th- those are the reasons why I'd like to see a, a draft in June. I understand why Brad Living or, or uh, Ken Holland or Jim Benning or any other general manager would say, I don't want that because it is a, a total departure from what they're used to. But what, why are you against the idea of a June draft? Well, you and I were chatting about it off the air, and I must admit, I don't want to make your head any bigger than it already is, but you you did kind of sway me a little bit. I I understand where the league is coming from, Pat, because I could not wait for the NFL draft. It it had been so long since a sporting event, even though it wasn't a game being played, was on TV. I was jacked to watch the NFL draft, and I watched not only Friday night, but watched on the weekend as well when he got into the deeper rounds just mm-hmm. because I was craving sports so badly. So I'm sure the NHL saw that and thought, hey, we can capitalize on people's need and want for sports right now, even if it's not a game being played. So I get why they would want to do it. But for me, one of the most fascinating parts of, of every NHL draft is what big trades are going to be made. And, and maybe I feel more that way because of the market that I'm in and the team that I work with, because Brad Sherleving has made lots of blockbuster deals at NHL drafts since I took this job back in 2014. So, you know, for us, the, the people that cover the team on a daily basis, the NHL drafts has been a lot of fun. The Flames have had some high picks. You, know, you guys were you know, talking earlier about Matthew Kachuk and, you know, how he fell to the Flames when they didn't think that was going to happen. And, you know, it's been a lot of drama, and, and I think they've made some really positive moves, both in the players they've drafted and, and the trades that they've made on, on draft weekend. So I would miss those blockbuster trades for sure, but I do wonder what they would do with things like conditional draft picks. And I know that it's been discussed, and the league, I guess, would act as a moderator of sorts. So let's use the Orders and the Flames as an example. So in the Milan Lucic-James Neal trade, there's a conditional third-round pick if, and you might have to refresh my memory here, if James Neal scores 21 or more goals and, and scores at least 10 more goals than Milan Lucic. Is that correct? correct. Yeah. So yeah. What, what do you do with that pick? Do you, as the league, go to both teams and say, listen, we can't finish the regular season. Neal got close. Calgary, would you accept a fourth-round pick from Edmonton? And, and you see if you can get both teams to agree to that. So I guess that could be sort of interesting as well. Listen, it's not like I'd go kicking and screaming uh, 
to, to my television set to watch an NHL draft in June. I just think a lot of the things that make it interesting wouldn't be a part of it or as big a part of it. But yeah. I also get why the league would want to do it. No, I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, you wouldn't. You might have some trades for picks, like maybe you trade uh, you trade up using other picks or something like that. But you won't be able to trade any active players because, well, the league's unless you're Detroit. I I guess, but the trade yeah. deadline's over, so I so it, it wouldn't really it wouldn't really work out. I guess, but yeah, good yeah, good point by you. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I guess you could trade draft picks or, or futures, but I don't know. It, 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 for me, would lose a little bit of its luster, but maybe that would balance uh, by the fact that I'm craving sports or sports content so much right now. Speaking of which, can I ask you guys one question before we go? Yeah. So I think we're all searching for new things to watch right now, and you guys have been watching The Last Dance, which is unbelievable. I'm five episodes in, and it's one of those shows I almost don't want it to end, like Breaking Bad. I tried to space out the final season because I, I knew it was coming to an end and I didn't want it to come to an end. But what else have you guys been watching? So I just finished season two of Narcos Mexico. Mm-hmm. I'm, I just finished season seven of Homeland because it had been 17 years since it had aired. So I wanted to watch that again before season eight. But any other shows that you guys would suggest for me? Season eight of Homeland's outstanding. Um, it's, it's right back to their roots. So season eight of Homeland was great. I, I wholeheartedly endorse that. Um, I, uh, I've watched, uh, Altered Carbon on, uh, Netflix is a solid show. I watched season two of that. Um, Last Dance has been good. Have you gotten into Ozark? Cause Ozark's outstanding. Um, yeah, so that, that's, that's on hold, but Ozark is top five all time for me. So I'm looking forward to season three for sure. Yeah. So I, uh, the, 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 Klein, what about you? Anything that I missed that, that you would uh, recommend? Well, I need the obvious one. one. No, the obvious one is RuPaul's Drag Race. Uh, powered through that here. Oh boy! Um, just just finished season eleven not too long ago. But uh, actually, um, my wife has gotten into this show. It's called Dead to Me, and it is like there's cliffhangers at the end of every episode. It, it's it is quite the emotional roller coaster. Uh, so if if you're looking for something, uh, there's two seasons of it. It's really really good. I, I would go Dead to Me once you're done all eleven seasons of RuPaul's Drag Race. Yeah, I might have to, to put RuPaul on hold. I've also got uh, the latest season of Better Call Saul, which it took me a little while to get into that show, but I'm into it now. And I think it's better than know, Breaking Bad. I don't think it's better than wow. Breaking Bad, but I think it's it's really, really good. Do you guys know when Peaky Blinders is coming back? Because I miss yeah. that show. Uh, well, not for a little bit. Um, I know they were in production. I don't know if production got halted because of this whole thing, but um, uh, you're still a little ways away from that. Uh, I can vouch for RuPaul as well. Uh, if you enjoy entertainment, are you serious I, right now? I, I love that show. It's outstanding. Like, what's the premise of it? It's uh, it's RuPaul's Drag Race. It's it's drag queens, and who's the best drag queen is essentially it. Yeah. Some of the most talented make different human beings co- different on the planet. For, uh, different outfits for different challenges each week. It, it's quite uh, quite impressive. The most like some of the most talented entertainers I've ever seen in my life. They're ridiculous. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It's incredible. I'm, still, I'm trying to figure out if you guys are pulling my chain right now. 100 percent, honestly, no, not no, pulling. Not 100 no, percent, not pulling your chain. This is coming from the same guy who's obsessed with the Bachelor and the Bachelorette. So, um, you know that I'm not pulling your chain. You know what, Pat? I'm gonna I'm gonna have your back right here. Those shows, like I I would have never thought about watching them, but you put them on and it's hard to turn them off, isn't it? 
Like oh. just all the drama and ridiculousness. They're horrible, but I I love them. Like <laughs> I am a full I'm a full fledged member of Bachelor Nation. Like my Instagram Discover feed is all um is all bachelor related so here's what uh here's what hannah brown's up to here's what hannah ann sluice is up to. it's like yeah i just i'm i am full-on bachelor nation 100 percent. we gotta roll okay. wilsey okay give 90 day fiance a try it's pretty funny. okay i will i will do okay, that bye bye guys See you, Wilsey. Uh, there's Derek Wills on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. The bar may be closed to patrons during these trying times, but they are open for business. Pickup or delivery available by calling 403-248-3344. That's 248-3344. This is Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Pinder and Steinberg in the afternoon. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Well, as we continue to progress through this pandemic, we are coming up with with different ways to bring you content. And so we came together and and thought that this would be a really cool idea in putting the spotlight on some of our um, collegiate sports in the city. You know, we've got three high-level programs, uh, the University of Calgary, Mount Royal University, and the one that I'm most partial to, the Southern Alberta Institute of Technology, the State Trojan. So we wanted to put a spotlight on some of the schools and some of the athletes because the ACAC and U Sports both had their seasons abruptly finished and uh, a large feeling of incompletion for everyone involved. And so today we're kicking off the honor roll, and today we're focusing in on the State Trojans. Uh, we've got some athletes we're going to bring on for you uh, to highlight the year that was for Sate, another real powerhouse year for the Trojans. And we're going to kick it off by saying hello to Brody Mark of the State Trojans uh, before we get into a couple of the athletes. Brody, thanks for doing this today. How are you, my friend? Oh, not too shabby, Pat. How about yourself? Doing well, and uh, I'm excited to put a spotlight on some of these athletes and what was another really good year for the Trojans athletically, hey? Yeah, you know, absolutely. You know, thanks for having me on to talk about the Trojans. Uh, Pat, does it bring you back to your days on campus or what? It sure does. Now, I was never athletically... I was never athletically gifted enough to be asked to be a, a student athlete. I did do intramurals at SAIT, but um, was, uh, you know, never on the uh, in the varsity programs. But I called SAIT hockey for two years, uh, the two years I was there. And then uh, I came back after that. And for like four years after I was done uh, at SAIT, I had the opportunity to uh, to do the music at men's and women's hockey games. So I uh, I, I, I love SAIT athletics. Uh, I love the Trojans. So I'm, I am a little biased on this one but yeah i'm it, it absolutely i'm i'm excited to talk to to some of these guys today yeah absolutely we'll have to get you back up on the press box sometime uh, you know when things settle down here i would love to um well tell us about you know kind of the the feeling of incompletion for so many of the athletes. I know the hockey programs were uh, in the postseason, and uh, th- there was mm-hmm. a lot going on positively, and then all of a sudden abruptly stopped. I would imagine that's the the biggest feeling from the athletes and everyone involved in the athletic department. Yeah, absolutely, Pat. You know, like I said, incompletion uh, is probably a, you know as good a word to describe it as possible. Uh, you know, or, or what could have been. Uh, you know, in regards to how our season ended, uh, you know, we had our indoor track, our futsal, our men's hockey, and our men's basketball teams all had their respective seasons come to an end due to COVID-19. And, you know, and, and while it is heartbreaking, uh, for sure, uh, the health and safety of not only our athletes, but everyone is, is the most important thing. 
So there's no doubt that it was the right call. Um, what I will say, you know, like, you know, on, on top of that, you know, what stung just as much was the, was the fact that we had to cancel our year-end gala. Um, you know, the athletes look forward to it every year. Uh, we pride ourselves on putting on a pretty good show. Um, the athletes get dressed up. They enjoy a few beverages. Uh, and are able to celebrate the accomplishments of their teammates and, and their fellow Trojans who they root for as well. Um, the gala puts a stamp on the end of the year, and, and unfortunately we weren't able to provide that this year. Which is really too bad, and I know that everybody's looking forward to, to coming back. I know you don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but that's mm-hmm. kind of what everybody's eyes on the future is to when ACAC sports are going to be back. Yeah, you know, I, Absolutely. Everyone, everyone, uh, you know, is talking about that, that we have athletes asking us uh, routinely about that. Uh, um, what I will say, it, there's no doubt that our athletes are excited to get going. Um, and, and while we are keeping our fingers crossed that we're able to start in early September, um, we fully know and understand that uh, a lot of chips have to fall into place at multiple levels uh, for that to happen. Uh, and we respect that 100% because keeping everyone safe is paramount. Um, once we are given the green light, however, uh, we'll go back to work on uh, winning some ACAC medals. Well, and I know that you've already got uh, an ACAC title in men's basketball this year. Just happened to be four straight for the Trojans. Just tell us mm-hmm. about the year athletically. I know that we don't get closure on a lot of the sports, but but tell us about some of the accomplishments for uh, the Trojans athletically in the nineteen twenty season. Yeah, we had a, we had a few highlights. That's for sure. You know. Uh, our men's basketball team, obviously their fourth straight ACAC title uh, hasn't been done since the, the mid-80s when Safe themselves won seven straight under Phil Allen, uh, which was a huge accomplishment. Uh, I'm not sure we're going to get to seven straight, but we'll sure try. Um, our men's curling team, our curling team, obviously, uh, we brought back after near 15-year hiatus, and, and the men's side ended up went on going on to uh, to win the ACAC title, and it was the, the first men's curling title for state in, in nearly 30 years uh I, along with that you know you know a couple of silver medals bronze medals uh stuff like that so you know so definitely some highlights for us this year for sure and i think the the thing that is is as we wrap up with with you bro i just think that the it's it's pretty i i will say this i always enjoyed getting out to volleyball games or basketball games or 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 hockey games at campus center like it it is it's it's a like athletics is is a really big part of campus life at state and mm-hmm. it's it's well supported and you always get like i i always felt there was that that real sense of pride from people who are at state to whether it be the athletes or, or people who go to cheer like it really is a, a big part of the culture of being there isn't it absolutely i mean uh you know we're one of the founding members of the acac you know back to the 1964-65 season so uh in that time we've um, participated in, in numerous sports and, uh, you know, sports have come and gone, but, uh, you know, throughout the years, um, we've, we've really prided ourselves on, on being, like you said, a powerhouse in the ACAC, uh, a lot of medals. And, um, you know, we, you know, we strive for that every year. That's, that's important to us. That's important to our coaches. That's important to our supporters with insight as well. So, uh, like you said, it's, it's nice to have the support, uh, on campus to to do as well as we do and uh, you know hopefully we can like I said when when things settle down and we can come back from this we're we're able to to go and win some more medals in, in uh, 2020 21 
Well, looking forward to put the spotlight on some of your athletes coming up next year, Brody. But thanks for kicking it off, and uh, hopefully you're uh, back to uh, organizing and promoting varsity sports and intramural sports as, as soon as humanly possible. Thanks for doing this today, Brody. Yeah, thanks for having me, Pat. I appreciate it. That's Brody Mark from SAIT. He's with the SAIT Trojans and kicking off our SAIT honor roll. And now we're going to uh, have a little bit of a chat with a few of the athletes that uh, have now completed their seasons. We're going to kick it off with a, a pretty solid way to do so. He just happens to be the male athlete of the year with the SAIT Trojans from the men's basketball team. We're joined by three-time champion Charlie Connor, who is uh, fairly fresh off winning another ACAC title. Uh, Charlie, thanks for doing this today, man. How are you? I'm good, Pat. Thanks for having me. Hey, no problem. And I guess what what has this been like for you, knowing that uh, I know you guys were knocking on the door to Nationals after winning another ACAC title, but then all of a sudden the world intervened. How have things been like for you? Uh, yeah, you know, uh, that, that, was, that was a little tough, but um, I think it was, you know, the right move by uh, especially Canada and, you know, everybody uh, nationwide and across the worldwide, you know, to postpone it. But, you know, as of now, I'm just chilling, you know, trying to work out, uh, stay up to date, keep my cardio right. Well, that's good. And because and, you never know when you're getting the call again. What – tell us about uh, – because – You've had nothing but success since joining the Trojans. Just you know, three uh, three three <laughs> yeah. ACAC titles. It's the highest you can go in states. Yeah, it's a pretty good way. Uh, it's a pretty good way to start your career as a Trojan. But tell us about this season. I know you don't get to go to nationals, but you win your third straight ACAC title. Tell us about uh, the Trojans men's basketball team this year and the season you guys put together. Oh yeah, uh, like you said, uh, I have had you know a little bit of success here and there. You know, I, I think I've been I've been a little lucky since I came. Um, before I came, you know, uh, uh, had some other people that was that was there, you know, from state that brought me there. So you know, I was glad to just be part of state. But especially this season, um, you know, I can't even attribute all that uh, success to me. You know, my teammates uh, paved the way, you know, for me to come out and do what I do personally, but. You know, they played their hearts out, you know, in the championships and uh, provincial tournaments and things like that. So uh, I'm just glad, uh, you know, I'm miss- missing every one of them guys right now. Wish we could have got to go to nationals, but, you know, it was it was for the best, you know, that people took into precaution what was going on. So I'm I'm all right with that. I'm I'm all right with how things ended, but still wondering what if. Well, and I, I can totally understand that. But at the very least, like, it must be a little easier dealing with the, the kind of sense of incompletion, knowing that you, you did accomplish kind of the ultimate goal, and that is winning another ACAC title. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that, that's what I'm saying, man. It's always like, what if? So, you know, we all we can do is sit here and be like, you know, maybe we could have won, maybe we could have medaled. You never know. Maybe we could have got last. We could have got nationals, you know, and just got blown out. Yeah. But <laughs> you know, you never know. But uh, I mean, the best thing we can do now is just, you know, keep the focus on. Try to go out next year and win a, a fifth straight one. You know, hopefully keep the same uh, core guys and bring in new guys, whoever it happens to be, and you know, bring them along and hopefully they can help us win another one and then get back to nationals. I hear that you really took on a, a much more established leadership role in year three as a Trojan. Tell us about being a leader and, and kind of being the guy that, from a player's standpoint, guides a team. 
Uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, for my first couple of years, I was, you know, and honestly, most, most of my life, I always been like the quiet, like the quiet guy, you know, behind the scenes, you know, if you need me, I'll be there, you know, to help out scoring, rebounding, assist, whatever you need me to do. I'll do it, play defense. And then, um, this year it was more of, you know, it was tough at first. I was a little nervous cause I didn't really know how to lead the team. You know what I mean? So I, I really didn't know how to go about it, but I think one thing about being a leader is like the guys around you depend on who they are. If you know, they have your back, it makes, it makes leading a whole lot easier. And they did from day one, you know, they all have my back, believed in me. And people always say I had success during the season. I think I played awful for the first half, first, <laughs> the first half of the season, first like 12, 13 games. until I finally decided to find my, uh, you know, my stride, but then, you know, we picked up a uh, big man to league. We always had Jamie Muya, you know, doing a thing, Camille Kemba, rookie Ben, uh, always Calvin Chambers, who was leading us in scoring at the time. And then, uh, you know, came in the playoffs and I was like, shoot, my team, like they, they carry me along this way. So as much as I can do to help, I'll, I'll do it in the, in the playoffs. And I was grateful for that. We're in conversation with State Male Athlete Player of the Year, Charlie Connor of the men's basketball team. This is the State Honor Roll here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Now, your story is a fascinating one. You're uh, you're not a Calgary guy. You're not an Alberta guy. In fact, uh, you're not even uh, Canadian by passport. Uh, you're a uh, you're a Washington State guy, right? I am. I am. Yeah. Uh, from Lacey, Washington. Uh, I was living there for about seven, eight years, and uh, it was crazy because I thought, you know, my time playing basketball was honestly over. Uh, I was, you know, working. Uh, I was actually bartending, you know, working, serving drinks at the movie theaters. If you ever get a chance and go to Washington, it's called the Cinnabar. Great place, great little spot. But Okay. Uh, like, they, they serve, like, you know, they serve uh, drinks, and they come in and serve you in the movie. Great little spot. But anyway, so, yeah, I'm doing that. And uh, John Smith, he was uh, – he was playing up here before me. Uh, one of my great friends, one of the best friends I have, uh, and he called me. And he was like, "Hey, you want to?" He's like, "You want to play?" And I was like, uh, "I mean, yeah." I'm thinking, you know, it's like another tournament we're gonna play in or something like that because I still play pickup here and there. But and then he was like, "No, you can come and play for State." And I was like, "Oh, really?" He's like, "Yeah, just come out here and try out, and uh, you know, if things go well, you can play." And you know, I did. And then I ran into uh, you know Marty, Pat, and you know, uh, Coach Dave, Coach JB, all the coaches, you know, before that, that helped me out that I met. And then, uh, you know, they all was like, you know, you got potential. You can come out here and play. And since day one, man, they, they kind of, they was like, here, you you can get your 30 minutes. And I guess I provided for them enough. And they kept me around. So, and I can't thank even the state staff enough. I hear you're a state guy, too. I am. So, yes. State, uh, yeah. uh, so you, you, state grad of you know 04. How, Oh four, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know how helpful state can be. So you know they, everybody in the state staff, everywhere, even the teachers and stuff. You know they help me uh, and things like that as I progress. You know to my third year. So I'm just thankful for everybody. It's just, it was really, I'm really just blessed, honestly. Well, that's really cool. And just a final thought for you, Charlie. And you know, you, you just tell us about being being an athlete, and and like t- tell us about campus life. Tell us about uh, what the uh, what it's like being Charlie Connor, the male athlete of the year, and and uh, playing and, and living at State. 
<laughs> you about to make me blush, man. Uh, but honestly, man, day to day, I think it's pretty much, you know, normal life the same as going to school. So, you know, you got to dedicate uh, time here and there. You know, we practice from seven to nine each day. Uh, so, you know, you got to dedicate that time. Make sure you get your schoolwork in, you know, get in the gym, shoot early, you know, get rhythm right and things like that. Uh, but other than that, you know, we go to school, <laughs> do the same thing, uh, you know, and I, and I, you know, as much as it seems as I'm that popular, I'm really not. I'm still a quiet guy around school, <laughs> things like that. Uh, <laughs> you know, I try to meet as much people, try to get a, enough people to come to the games and things like that. And I thank them, you know, for coming to the game. So, I mean, even when I did state summer camps and things like that, like all the kids that wanted to come, I just told them to come to the games that they really wanted to see. And hopefully I can put on a show for them or say we can win a game or something. And so I like just, just truly blessed, blessed, man. Well, that is very cool. Uh, congratulations on being the male athlete of the year, but more importantly, congratulations on another ACAC title for the men's basketball team. Um, we, we hope that the Trojans are back on the court and back playing as soon as humanly possible, but thanks for doing this today, Charlie. Really appreciate it. Oh, yeah, no, no problem, Pat. Anytime you want to have me, I'll be here. All right. Well, hopefully we can uh, do it to talk about what's happening on the court really soon. Thanks, Charlie. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. That's Charlie Connor, the State Male Athlete of the Year, three-time ACAC champion in men's basketball. They are the defending champions after winning their fourth straight this year. Charlie's been a big part of the last three as our State Honor Roll continues. Let's go from the men's basketball team to a rookie on the men's hockey team. We uh, welcome in AJHL veteran Jared Power, who is uh, in his rookie season with the Trojans. He joins us now on the show on the State Honor Roll. Jared, thanks for doing this, man. How are you good pat how are you doing i'm doing well how are uh how are you dealing with uh having your season cut short and and not being able to play yeah i guess it was a little bit uh disappointing for sure um it's kind of been an unknown territory i think for everybody um i think our season got cut maybe thursday night friday morning when we were supposed to play friday night um in the semifinal so it was definitely an uncertainty, but obviously in the end, um, and now the health and safety of everyone, it was kind of the right decision. Um, but obviously we would have liked to be playing for sure. You were just about to uh, play Nate in the semifinals as you were looking to go back and win another ACAC crown in men's hockey. Tell us about how the season had gone. How would you uh, evaluate your first season playing with the Trojans? Yeah, it was good. Um, we had a lot of success. Um, I think we were finding our stride uh, at the perfect time when the season got cut short. So um, it would have been a pretty fun series to play Nate. Um, we were kind of neck and neck with them, playing against them throughout the regular season. So um, we thought we had a good chance against them. Um, and we thought we had an overall chance of uh, winning the whole thing um, to the end of it. So it was a bit disappointing for sure, especially in my first year. Um, and I kind of feel bad for the graduating players that you know kind of had to end on a, a short notice like that so um hopefully we, when we come back next year we'll be able to um you know take it all the way and play for those guys 
Well, you uh, you spent time in the AJHL. You had a little bit of a cup of coffee in the BCHL as well. So you played high-level junior A hockey and then made the jump to the ACAC this year. Tell us about I, – I know I, I, I am well-versed on the ACAC. I think it's one of the uh, most underrated leagues that you can get in Western Canada. But tell us about the quality of play because you get some, some high-level players, and that's a pretty polished brand of hockey, isn't it? Yeah, it was uh, it was definitely good. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of good players come through the ACAC. Um, you know, there's obviously the few that will go to U Sports, um, but you know, our league is is full of those junior A players that um, you know might have fell short of a NCAA scholarship um, or whatnot. So um, it's a good league. Uh, I know a lot of guys from playing um, in the BC and uh, in the AJ. There was a lot of guys throughout the league that you know you might have been playing for you know four or five years now so you're starting to kind of build some competition um throughout every guy on each team so it's a lot of fun um and we had a good group of guys to do it with so you uh you were well let's see if i can get this right bonneville old gp those are your three stops in the aj right (laughs) yeah i was moving around a bit there yeah and then i went to uh Coquitlam from uh, the last half of my 20-year-old year. Okay, so then how uh, how did the Trojans come calling? How did you then make the jump to the next level playing ACAC? Yeah, it was uh, a bit of an interesting, uh, I guess, my last 20-year-old year. I had a couple um, offers from the NCAA that just kind of didn't pan out with scholarships and um, financial ability, so um, I was kind of looking at my other options. Um, I State was kind of going through a, a coaching change at the time, and uh, Tyler Drader came in, um, and he coached the Calgary Mustangs as well in the AJHL, um, and I think he was familiar with me, and I think the the next day after he got the job, he, my phone was on ring, and he gave me a call and kind of told me about State and um, kind of an opportunity for me and him to come in both as first-year guys to, uh, you know, take a program and do what you want with it and kind of take a run with it. And at the end of the day, I thought that was the best decision for me. Um, I haven't played in Calgary. Um, I was at Notre Dame. So I think the last time I played at home was I might've been 12 years old. So my mom was still driving me to the rink. Um, so it was a pretty unique experience to play in front of my friends and family every night. Um, so I think overall it was a good decision for me. With Jared Power of the State Trojans, who joins us here on the State Honor Roll, tell us about being a hockey player at State. Uh, you get good uh, good crowd support. Fridays and Saturdays uh, at the campus center is, is, is always a, a good spot to be if you're not a student athlete and you just want to go watch some good hockey. But tell us about playing as a member of the State Trojans. Yeah, I think it's a lot of fun. Um, I think it's a pretty unique campus to, that everything is all, all in one spot. Um, you can go right from on a late Friday night class. You can come over to the rink and you can catch a basketball game, a volleyball game, go back to the rink and you're kind of jumping all over the place. So I think it would be definitely a cool experience as a student to come, you know, watch your school play. Um, and it's, uh, it's overall, it's a, it's a tight knit school. Um, like I said, everything's right there. So it's, it's pretty fun to be, um, walking around campus, you know, Friday morning, you're seeing your teammates and, you kind of know that it's game day. It kind of feels uh, it's a pretty unique experience for sure. 
Well, before we let you go, what uh, just uh, tell us about you know kind of what you're what you're doing to to stay busy because you're assuming like at some point you'll be back playing hockey again and you'll be back playing uh, with the rest of the Trojans. What what are you doing to make sure that you stay as sharp as you possibly can? Uh, yeah, we've had to get pretty creative. Um, I kind of set up a, a home gym in the basement there. Um, I got a bunch of stuff from our, our gym at Peak, um, right at Sate. So I was lucky yeah. enough to, to snag up some um, equipment there. And so I'm just trying to get some creative workouts in and um, been kind of doing my stick handling and kind of little exercises to, you know, keep sharp um, and try to be ready for whenever the season might come about. Um, and we'll be ready whenever that is. So I'm excited to get going again. And, you know, hopefully the, even the rinks around Calgary will open up soon enough, even if it's a small group, but, you know, still be able to get on the ice and kind of get into a somewhat of a regular off season training. Um, And then come the fall, we'll be ready to go. Good stuff, Jared. Really appreciate the time uh, and you coming on to put the spotlight on the Trojans hockey team. Thanks so much for doing this today. Yeah. Thanks, Pat. I appreciate it. It's Jared Power, rookie with the State Trojans. We also spoke to Charlie Connor from State Men's Basketball, uh, putting the spotlight on the Trojans, uh, the the women's basketball team, the the women's hockey team, uh, doing some really good stuff this year. Uh, and uh, we're we're trying to put the spotlight on some of the collegiate sports in the city, starting with State next week. It is the MRU honor roll. We'll focus in on a couple of athletes from the Mount Royal Cougars. That just happens to be where. Um, Kleiner and Logan graduated from. I'm a I'm a state guy. Klein, Logan, Will, all Mount Royal guys. Uh, so yeah, we'll put the spotlight on the Cougars next week. But thanks to Brody, thanks to Bob Murray, thanks to the athletes, um, and thanks to the Trojans. That was the State Trojans honor roll on this Thursday afternoon. It's Pat Steinberg and Peter Klein along with you. This is Pinder, uh, Pinder and Steinberg on your Thursday drive home. So the last redraft we did in the NHL was 2005, and it was, um, sorry, the last one we did was 2006. But in 2005, when we did that one uh, a couple of weeks ago, the answer as to who should have gone number one overall in 2005 was pretty easy. Sidney Crosby went number one and should have gone number one. The same is true with 2007. We'll tell you why next when we take a look back at the 07 NHL draft. Pinder and Steinberg continues on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. The superstars, the bus, the blockbuster trades. Pinder and Steinberg revisit another NHL draft. We are going back to the 2007 NHL draft today as we welcome you back to Pinder and Steinberg. Final hour of the program. Top of the hour, more classic Blue Jays action for you. Uh, the Blue Jays looking for an 11th straight win going back to August of 2015. They've won 10 in a row. They're going for 11 at Rogers Center tonight, taking on the Oakland A's. We'll have that one for you uh, at the top of the hour. Classic Blue Jays coast to coast on the Sportsnet Radio Network at 5 o'clock. Before we get there, though our nhl insider chris johnston will join us at about 4:40. right now we got logan gordon pat steinberg and peter klein along with you come on by on instagram live as uh, we have started doing the show on ig live every day the entire show uh you can come on through steinberg 1984 or primetime klein is where you can uh stream along and watch with us uh, we've quite enjoyed uh, playing with the backgrounds and um making fun of our appearances on Instagram Live. The 2007 NHL draft was hosted in Columbus, Ohio. I believe 
This is the first time Sportsnet 960 was ever live at a draft. Rob mm. Kerr was, I believe this is the first time that Kerr convinced Kirsch to get us to go to a draft, and we've been going ever since and haven't missed one since 2007. The number one overall selection, gentlemen, was Patrick Kane to the Chicago Blackhawks. And, guys, I don't know if we need to spend too much time on this one. If we were to go back and Chicago was on the clock again, knowing all that they would know in the next uh, in the next 10-plus years, I don't think they would blink an eye. They would be taking Patrick Kane number one overall once again. Like, he is number one, no questions asked, unless either of you have any objection towards that. No, none from here. Uh, there's no question that Patrick Kane is the the number one player in this draft. There was no question at the time, and it, it has certainly worked out uh, for the Chicago Blackhawks, obviously turning things around with him and Jonathan Taves, who we talked about the other day. It's, it is an absolute stone-cold lock. He is number one. Logo, you're yeah, in agreement? Yeah, I'm not going to waste too much air on this one. It's not close. It's Kane and then everybody else. I mean, he's a legitimate NHL superstar. He's a three-time Stanley Cup winner. All the guy has ever done is is win and succeed. He he's taken his game to a new level. Um, you know, because he came into the league and and was a dynamic offensive player right from the get go, but then took it to a whole new level. And and the last five six years, he's taken it from being a dynamic offensive player to a dominant offensive player on any given night. I mean, he's he's that good a player, and and he is um, he's he's been one of the two or three driving forces of a Chicago Blackhawks turnaround. So yeah, Patrick Kane went first overall in 2007 would go number one overall if they were to do it again. But what about from that point forward Uh, after Patrick Kane, who would be number two? If you were to go back and look at how it actually went, number two was James Van Riemsdyk to the Philadelphia Flyers. Number three was Kyle Turris to the Phoenix Coyotes. Number four, Thomas Hickey to the LA Kings. And number five, Carl Alsner to the Washington Capitals. But I don't think any of those four guys would be anywhere near number two overall. Logo, who'd you go with as the second pick if you were to look back at this draft? Uh, there were a lot of options in this one, and some even later in the first round. It wasn't a particularly deep draft as far as high-end talent goes, but my uh, second overall pick in this draft uh, comes in the fifth round, and it's Jamie yeah. Benn uh, from yeah. uh, gets drafted by the Dallas Stars. Uh, I think he's an all-around player, a, a physical player, a guy who puts up points, and I know the last two years haven't been ideal in Dallas, but... Uh, he's my number two overall pick, a, a very versatile forward who I'd love to have on, on any team I was cheering for. Yeah, one of the best power forwards in the league, um, Jamie Benn, uh, I think is the way you got to go. Like Logo said, there are actually quite a few options for this spot. Uh, the first round, you have quite a few successes, but uh, I think Patrick Kane was the lock at number one, and the more I looked at it, uh, Jamie Benn was becoming much more of a lock at number two. So that's that's who I went with with the uh, the second pick as well. I went I went with Ben too, just because he he really has been he hasn't been as good or has as dominant the last couple of years. But the Dallas Stars have also kind of transitioned the way they played, so they're nowhere mm-hmm. near as offensively inclined a team, and as such. You know, the numbers for Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn and some of the other top offensive guys have dipped a little bit. So for me, I, I, I went Ben, but it's close. The other guy that was in the competition for me 
was a second round pick of that year when Montreal selected PK Subban. And I know that what Subban is now as a member of the New Jersey Devils might sour you a little bit, but what Subban has been for most of his career is an elite defenseman. He's a Norris Trophy winner. He has been to a Stanley Cup final and been a huge part on Nashville's run to the Stanley Cup final. There's no doubt he is the best defenseman of this draft class, and it's a pretty important possession position last time I checked. For me, I went with, with Ben, too, but only a hair above uh, P.K. Subban, who I know that he's dropped off now, but that's only the last year, year and a half. Before that, guys, we were talking about a decade of Subban being an elite NHL defenseman. Polarizing, sure, some don't like him. I'm a huge fan and always have been. Um, but just from a straight-up hockey standpoint, analytically, he's crushed it for a decade. His point totals are huge. P.K. Subban, for, I, 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 will, I will tooth and nail debate anyone who tells me that Subban was not an elite defenseman at his prime. And in his prime, he was there for a good seven, eight years. Yeah, I uh, I'm with you on that one as well. Uh, I'm I'm a big PK Subban fan. It it has fallen off of a cliff, and that was that was tough for me to to judge on because I think there are still some players from this who have had the the same length that Subban had peak wise, but have continued it now. Looking at guys like, like Kane. A, a, well, yeah, yeah, but looking at like Logan Couture is still playing at a high level. Um, Max Pacioretty still playing at a high level. Jake Borachek still playing at a high level. But I don't know if their peaks were ever quite as high as Subban. So that's where the, the debate came down for me. Um, but I, I think in the end, P.K. Subban does squeak ahead of those guys a little bit just because the, the peak was, I think, a bit higher. Logo, where do you fall in on this one? I really like uh, P.K. Subban. And when his best years, I think, were probably with Montreal and uh it's funny because I believe when we were talking about the uh, the year that uh, Nashville drafted Shea Weber uh Klein I think you were still off at that point but we talked about how at the time the PK Subban Shea Weber trade seemed so one-sided and it's kind of gone opposite ways since that happened I I found it difficult for me I put Couture slightly ahead of um, P.K. Subban in this one because it has been such a dramatic fall off for P.K. Subban and I think there's still a chance for him to to get it back maybe outside of New Jersey uh, but he really did have some dominant years with Montreal running their power play and I still look back at that trade and think it was you know such a stunning one to see a guy like P.K. Subban be moved in really his prime for an older defenseman it hasn't gone the way that Montreal probably thought it would or Nashville did either but Subban, no doubt, was uh, the premier defenseman in the East for a while. And it was pretty important on that run to the Cup Final with the Preds, too. Like, I know they also had Yossi, and they also had Ekholm, and that was like a, a very stacked team defensively. And now, you know, especially when you take into account the cap recapture stuff that might happen with the Predators, that, that makes the trade look a little less lopsided. But I don't know. I, I look at it, and I, I, I think that we're talking about a – a guy that was pretty darn good for a little while. So I, I have him slightly ahead of Logan Couture, only a little bit. Like those those four guys, Ben, Kane, Couture, Subban, you can't go wrong really if you right. – if you. I mean, those guys were all maybe not franchise players, but franchise-altering players anyway. They, they certainly took a team and turned them into a much better team. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Um. And again, you're not you're not going to get me to say much bad about any of those players. I. The, I'm with Logo where I had the struggle with the, the Subban falloff, but I think what he did at his heights, just a, a touch ahead of Couture. And then I think the next group beyond that, like figuring out that fifth spot was quite a challenge because there are a few guys who are kind of hovering in the, the same area, guys like Voracek and Pacioretty uh, on the blue line, McDonough and Shattenkirk at least get a, a bit of a look in this conversation. Uh, but I, I ended up going with, uh, with Max Pacioretty for the, uh, the fifth spot in this draft. I did too, um, and and but there are like, there are some pretty solid like w- what I really, what really struck me in in this draft, Logan is is the amount of, um, the amount of value like the the last one we did was two thousand and six, and we all from o three o four and o five when you went back and looked at those drafts, there was nothing but quality players into round seven, eight, and nine when they still had nine rounds. 2006, there wasn't much there. There were not a lot of, you know, late-round flyers that turned into impact NHLers. That ain't the case here. We already talked about a fifth-rounder in Ben who might be the second-best player in this draft, but it, it goes well beyond that. Like There are some solid players in seemingly every single round here. Yeah, I think you. I mean, we we uh, did a little bit of talking about this even before the show came on, and we were just going through some of the names. and Are they all stars? Are they the top ten guys that we talked about? No, but they're guys that you would absolutely be happy to get later on in the draft. And if you did a full, you know, redraft one to thirty, would probably all find themselves in that uh, first round. I mean, you talk about Evgeny Dadanov, who was a third rounder. The third round with a couple of guys that I think you'd be really happy with. Alex Kaloran from Tampa Bay, uh, Robert Bortuzzo, the guys like that that, you know, are legitimate NHL players and pretty dang good ones too. I mean, Alex Kaloran probably doesn't get enough credit because he plays with a bunch of other superstars in Tampa Bay, but if you got that guy in the third round, you're probably pretty damn happy. Yeah, I look at at some of the the players that, like, for instance – I had totally forgotten that Nick Ben, not even forgotten. That's a lie. I don't even know Nick Benino was drafted by the San Jose Sharks. I was going to say I had totally forgotten. I was like, well, that would be a lie because to forget something it means you had to know it at some point. But Nick Benino, there's a sixth round pick of the San Jose Sharks um, in this draft. Carl Hagelin was a sixth round pick uh, of this draft. Jake Muzzin, who's turned into a multiple Stanley Cup winner and a pretty good player still with the Toronto Maple Leafs, a fifth round pick. Patrick Maroon scored one of the most important goals of last year's playoff run, cup run for the St. Louis Blues, getting him into the conference final. He was a sixth round pick. Another guy who scored a pretty important Stanley Cup goal was Alec Martinez, won the Kings a cup uh, in 2004. 14 and he's a fourth round pick like there was value up and down this draft and um these are the fun ones like to go back and look at how teams went about their business and you know where they got certain players and and how certain players fell to them like even if you were to go back and look at what the dallas stars did in that year's draft Klein. uh so the stars drafted jamie ben in the fifth round they drafted um who they draft in front of him they drafted uh nhl superstars uh nico sacchetti um mm. sergey korostin austin mm. smith all went in front of jamie ben there was one player who did play who has played games colton sevier went ahead of jamie ben as well but four players three of whom you don't really know much about 
four players went before Jamie Benn in that draft, and, and he is significantly better than all four of those players that, that Dallas took. Only one of them has forged himself anything close to an NHL career. Yeah, it's funny how all those turn out, and then we applaud them for, look at this steal they found in the fifth round, and it's like, well, you passed on them four times, uh, and I maybe they just had an in-depth knowledge of the board. Uh, and, and they knew that fact. they could go elsewhere, and Ben would yeah. still be there. Right, they they knew 128 players were going to get drafted before uh, Jamie Ben, who was going to turn into a premier power forward. We, we look at what teams do in this draft, and the San Jose Sharks, you mentioned them before, with uh, with Nick Benino, um, they get Logan Couture, we, as we talked about, and uh, Justin Braun in the seventh round at 201 overall. That's a, a pretty good draft for the, the San Jose Sharks. And again, while Benino, um, a longtime Shark grade, um, but th- those are a couple moves that just help you extend a run further and further down the road. So uh, we, we talked about Detroit in this way a little bit last week, and now San Jose comes out with a big draft in this one as well. Yeah, I'd throw Montreal in that mix as well. We talked about P.K. Subban yeah. and Max Patch already, but uh, you might not recognize them in a Montreal jersey, but their 12th overall pick was Ryan McDonough, uh, who you know would probably say he had a pretty good career himself, or is having a good career, and Yannick Weber, who's just shy of 500 games himself. Those are four guys, four guys that games. they nailed in the first yeah. three rounds. That's a pretty good draft. And, and McDonough was a good hab. And then they just gave him away. It's just one of the worst trades that has ever been made. Everybody yeah. knew it at the time. They went out and got Scott Gomez and decided to send the Rangers Ryan McDonough. I still don't know what they were thinking. Gomez had a yeah, bad that's, contract. Yeah, that's Forsberg to level. Yeah. The, so the, the deal was um, traded from the Rangers. Uh, where is it here? I don't remember what the deal was. Anyway, they traded they traded McDonough as part of a Gomez trade. Um, and it was uh, traded traded from Montreal with Doug Janik, uh, Chris Higgins, and Paul. That's right, and Higgins Pat- was part of it too. And Higgins was a good player. And they just yep. brought in Gomez with a couple of other scrubs. He never actually uh, played for Montreal either. Michael Busto and Tom Pyatt. Yeesh. That's a bad. That's a bad one. Like Higgins, Higgins and Higgins and McDonough were both guys that looked like they were going to be solid NHLers, and they 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 were so enamored with Scott Gomez that they went out and got him. But you're right, Logan. If you can get McDonough, Pacioretty, Subban with your first three picks in the draft, like it's it's good. If you can get two career NHLers out of one draft, you did pretty good. They got four that year. That was a hell yeah. of a draft for the Habs. Now, Logo, you, uh, you've put together, before we get into what the Flames actually did, because um, the Flames had a decent draft. They got a really good player um, and a really important player in this year's draft. But before we get into what the Flames actually did, you put together a list of um, some forever Flames who spent uh, – you know, a few a few minutes perhaps in the Flames organization. This was a good year for sarcastic forever of Flames. Right? Well, I, I don't know what the sarcasm you'd be referring to, but obviously it started off with Paul Byron, who you reminded me was drafted by Buffalo and part of the Robin Regeer trade and then infamously, you know, let go to Montreal via waivers. But, I mean, that's, that's just one of many forever of Flames, and I would remind you of – uh, a couple of them here in round six. Uh, I'm sure everyone can dust off their Luke Gazdick jersey. 
Uh, he was did a he pick of the. Did he play a de- regular season game? I, I don't think he did. Believe he did the year that they clinched against L.A. Really? He played in the game against Winnipeg, the game eighty-two that didn't mean anything. Okay, I believe. Okay. Um, Anthony Peluso. Ooh, he he did play. Yes, of um, course he did. What are you talking about? Forever of Flame. I, I'm but I'm looking right here. Luke Gastic did not play. He uh, he might have been recalled. But he did not play that year that he was a member of the Flames organization. Well, that's a shame because he was obviously a, a big part of the team. Uh, <laughs> uh, same with Keith Ollie. Look, in the room. Uh, Keith Ollie, a forever a flame that we cannot forget. Uh, he was very tall uh, and very bad well, at hockey. And we all remember. Wow. We all remember January of 2010, the Keith Ollie trade with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Huge deal for for Keith. They they traded Keith Ollie to the Maple Leafs for Matt Stajan, Jabal Mayers, <laughs> Nick Hagman, and Ian White. There was enough was thrown in, but but Keith Keith Ollie was the the main uh, the main hub of that deal in in January 2010. Or maybe my recollection is wrong. No, no, I think you're I think you've absolutely nailed it. I mean, and look, guys, the the list continues into round two, two picks back to back that weren't Flames picks, but they wound up etching their names into the history of the Saddledome. Uh, Akeem Alou, big, okay. big Calgary flame. Uh, and ahead of him, don't forget about TJ Galliardi, guys. He was huge here for, like, a couple months. He played, He played what, one full season with the Flames? Is that right? Maybe two? Um, it was. He actually wasn't too bad as no, a member of the Flames. 62 was, games, 17 points, uh, one season. 13-14. Wasn't incredible, but it was. He was part of the. He was part of the fun year. The uh, no, sorry, he was the year before the yeah. fun year. My bad. Uh, I'm I'm mixing him up with Mason Raymond, another local kid. Mason was part of the fun, a big part of the the fun year, and Galley was the year before. That's right. Um, in terms of what the actual Calgary Flames did, in in terms of their picks that year. They had a decent draft because Michael Backlund was their first-round pick, and Backlund has turned into one of the most important players on the team. And, and, you know, there were some that had Backlund bordering on being a bust. I was I was never one of those people. Um, but I know there were some that just said, oh, this guy's never going to turn into anything. Look, Backlund's never been a premier point scorer in this league, but – even even in his early days as a, a sophomore NHLer, and and when he was still starting to really earn his keep as a full time NHLer, everything was pointing towards this guy being a really solid two way force. The analytics were strong, and he just it, it always seemed to be pointing that way. So when you can get Backlund in there, that's a uh, that's a solid pick. They also got John Negrin and Keith Ollie, as we mentioned, but neither of them really turned into much. But getting Backlund as their first pick, that worked out all right. One of the few first-round yeah. picks in that era that worked out for the Flames. Right, yeah. There, there's one guy who played pretty consistently in the NHL, and we're saying, man, crush that draft. Like, just nailed it. Uh, because the, the bar has been set pretty low from the last d- decade or so. Um, and the, the note that I found that I, I hadn't realized before, the Flames trading down um, and still ending up with Michael Backlund. Now, they don't exactly nail the third-round pick that they were uh, also picking up in that draft, but overall, that, that's a solid pick. When you have a guy who's with your franchise yeah. for going on now 14 years, 
you're you're pretty happy with that one. Even the harshest of Backlund critics would have to say, uh, getting Backlund at 24, he's going to get 700 games played if we ever get this thing going again. So, yeah, that that's that that is a solid pick for. The- I think we just lost Pete as he was finishing his thought as well. I agree with you wholeheartedly. By the way, Mr. Klein, uh, that is another edition of our redraft. Uh, I do have some news for you. There's our 2007 NHL redraft. We're going to revisit some of these tomorrow that we've already done because we got a special guest host with us tomorrow, uh, Friday, and then Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday of next week as well. So. A nice. few days next week uh, and tomorrow. Going to be joined by Peter Labardius on the program. Uh, Lubo going to chime in from where he's holing up in Mississauga. Uh, also tomorrow on the program, 2.30 p.m., Calgary Flames Assistant General Manager Craig Conroy. We've had three chats with Connie in pandemic, and they've all been absolutely outstanding if you missed by the way an outstanding chat with brad true living yesterday on the morning show uh and tomorrow uh we've got conroy for you at 2 30 so lots tomorrow on the program lubo conroy wild card wednesday um we'll revisit some of the uh drafts we've already done that's all coming up tomorrow for you on the program my name is pat steinberg his name is peter klein and logan gordon is with us from our basement systems downtown studio um we are still doing our hearts and smiles campaign we kick this off on tuesday as we are saluting thanking recognizing all of our frontline workers and it has been such an overwhelming response to our hearts and smiles campaign it's been really awesome to see uh, heartsandsmiles.ca is the website or you can go to our website at sportsnet.ca slash 960 and get all the information what we're doing is we are raising funds for the frontline fund which funds more than 150 hospital foundations across the country and right now with what's happening in a pandemic, we wanted to help support and thank our frontline workers in hospitals. Uh, so we have got T-shirts. We have got masks that we're selling right now. The mask is $10. Uh, the T-shirt is $30. You can buy both, or you can buy multiple masks and do 10 of them for $90. Proceeds going to the Frontline Fund. They look awesome. I've been wearing my mask to, even when I don't need to. It looks pretty cool. Like they're pretty. If you're going to be wearing a mask outside and if you're going to be going out and you want to wear one, why not wear one that looks badass like this one does? Once again, heartsandsmiles.ca is the website, or go to sportsnet.ca slash 960 and click on our events page hearts and smiles is underway and we're happy to be on board this is pender and steinberg on sportsnet 960 the fan calgary guys staying at home talking sports pop culture life and anything else your afternoon diversion is right here stream online at sportsnet.ca slash 960 download the sportsnet or radio player canada apps pender and steinberg are on sportsnet 960 the fan Let's go back in time and celebrate the amazing history of the Calgary Flames. Today in Flames History Starts. starts Now. On May 14th, 1989, it was game one of the Stanley Cup Finals. The Calgary Flames taking on the Montreal Canadiens at the Dome. It was a busy first period with Stefan Richet and Larry Robinson scoring for the Habs, while Al McKinnis would pot two for the Flames. Theo Fleury made it 3-2 in the second period, and that's all the Flames would need as Mike Vernon shut the door the rest of the way to give the Flames 
a 1-0 series lead. Today in Flames history, celebrating 40 years of Flames hockey in Calgary on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Thank you very much, Mr. Gordon. Always good to uh, take a look back uh, as we head towards the end of the week. Uh, before we uh, before we take another break and hear from Chris Johnston, our NHL insider, it's Pat Steinberg, Peter Klein, Logan Gordon along with you. Kleiner, tell us about last night's UFC fight night. I did not have an opportunity to witness. I did see the highlights. Uh, that was uh, quite the finish to our main event yesterday. Yeah, Glover Teixeira is a bad, bad, bad man. And for a long time was one of the best fighters not fighting in North America because of some visa issues and had a bit of a rough patch after losing a title fight to John Jones. But that was a sound and thorough ass kicking last night in a matchup of uh, former title challengers. A lot of criticism today from the MMA world about the uh, the corner not stopping the, the fight sooner to, to protect their fighter in Anthony Smith. Maybe the referee could have stepped in at some point that when you know when those conversations are being had you know that it was a rough rough night for your fighter uh co-main event ben rothwell against osp i still don't totally know what i saw with that that was that was just a a strange 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 fight and uh unfortunately a tough night for the canadian sarah morass as uh she falls in, in her bout on the prelims as well but overall uh, another pretty fun night of live sports on tv I don't know if you saw this, but our old buddy Chris Abbott, who is now with Cool Bet, was at Odd Shark. Um, our old buddy Chris Abbott, who joined us every week, um, going into the fifth round, I believe, put 50 cents on a Teixeira fifth round knockout. So a live betting and put 50 cents down on a Glover Teixeira fifth round TKO, which was plus 8,900, and it came Ooh. through. Nice. How about that Good for a job. payday? Plus yeah, eighty nine hundred. Like you just uh, that's that's a massive win. That bankrolls you for years. Oh yeah. That that's that that's one you tell your friends about for, for years and years and years because you're still paying for drinks with it. Yeah, no, that's bravo to him. That, that's why he's off being an expert in the gambling field and we're just here talking about old drafts <laughs> and stuff. That that's that's well done. Now, and we'll talk a little bit more about this tomorrow, but uh, Saturday there is another event again in Jacksonville with the main event interesting from a heavyweight standpoint. It's got some name value with Alistair Overeem, and uh, the the Walt Harris story is, is a pretty tragic one, um, but there's, mm-hmm. there's definitely some, some storylines going into Saturday's main event. Yeah, it, it doesn't take a whole lot to, to convince me to watch a, an Alistair Overeem fight, even in, in 2020. Um, and Walt Harris, uh, an absolutely heartbreaking story um, involving his daughter. Um, so, I mean, you, you can't help but pull for him, uh, looking to see how he responds. The co-main event is going to be a fun fight. Uh, a couple fighters who I love watching anytime they're in the cage with Claudia Gedalia going up against Angela Hill. And Edson Barbosa still holds the scariest knockout I've ever seen. Um, I think it was UFC 143 or something along those lines. Uh, a wheel kick knockout of Terry Adam that sent him into orbit. Uh, he's fighting on this card as well. So another pretty solid one, and this one for free on Saturday night. So they had UFC 249 on Saturday, UFC Fight Night yesterday, and then UFC on ESPN coming up on Saturday night, which we will be able to see here north of the border. Uh, We'll take a break. When we come back, the latest on the NHL restarting, the latest on the NHL draft, and virtual crowd noise at a 
NHL hockey game, all that with our NHL insider Chris Johnston next on Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Calgary guys talking Calgary sports. Pinder and Steinberg are only on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Let's say hello to our NHL insider Chris Johnston from Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. He joins us every Tuesday and Thursday here on the program, Mr. Johnston. Uh, I'll, I'll kick it off with the uh, way we kick it off a lot of the time, but here we are. We talked to you 48 hours ago. Uh, since that time, the return to play committee has met a couple of times. What's the buzz? What's the latest in terms of an NHL restart at this period in time? Well, it sounds like the latest is the league has told teams that they're hoping by next week to be able to, to spell out a little more clearly when they, they plan to move into phase two, which is the, the small group setting uh, where players can start working out of facilities and then at least give, I think, a little better indication of when phase three might start, which is what we'll probably call mini training camps or, or training camps. And so, you know, a lot of what's what's been done this week, I think, has been around you know modeling that out and you know obviously the players having a say and and what everything's looking like but you know the the league does want to give teams i think a little clearer picture and and not have this feel so uh up in the air i guess uh, at this point in time um you know as it's been really since since the the season went on pause so i think that they're getting a little closer to, to giving some dates and i would expect you'll see phase two probably at some point in june at least uh, what I've heard from a few people that work for teams is what they're okay. thinking. And, you know, maybe at this point it, it's, it's tentative. It's far from hammered in, but maybe some training camps in, in June and into July type of thing. So, the, and I know that these things are moving targets and, and you probably don't have a document in front of, in front of you, but what does, what, what do each of the stages, like we're in stage one now, correct? And then mm-hmm. what happens in stage two? Uh, what are the steps from two to th- one to two, two to three, so on and so forth? Well, stage two essentially is, is where the NBA has started now. And, and that's when, you know, teams can, can open up their, you know, either their arenas or practice facilities to players. There's there's really strict, um, you know, rules around it in the NBA. You know, in fact, it's only one coach and one player at a time uh, that are allowed in the building to, to go through a workout, obviously shooting baskets or, or what have you. I, I would assume it's something similar to that in a hockey setting where maybe you can get a couple guys, but, you know, out on the ice skating or using uh, the, the gym equipment. And, you know, you do that for a period of time. And then, you know, ultimately, you know, what the leagues are waiting for is the ability to hold something like a training camp. And to do that, you're going to need to see restrictions lifted that, you know, allow whatever it is, 30, 40, 50 people in the same building at the same time to go through a training camp. And I think in the NHL's case, you know, it's not decided, but, you know, it's likely that would be in a bubble scenario that, you know, once you get to training camp, uh, essentially, all the, the players and teams are, are living together in a very controlled environment and go through that. And then stage four would be the resumption of play. Um, so it is stage one now. So in a sense, nothing's changed since March 12th, but I, I think that the league is preparing to start, you know, going through those other stages and, and making a move here in the next few weeks towards, you know, trying to, to get the season back up and going. Um there's been a lot made of what Tampa Bay Rays pitcher Blake Snell said yesterday about risks and, and money and all that type of stuff about returning. We've asked you a few times about player pushback, and I was actually listening to you on um, 
on with the boys yesterday on writer's block. And, and do, do you get the sense that there's anywhere near the same type of player pushback as we're hearing might exist in Major League Baseball about a return to play there? Behind the scenes there definitely is some of that. Um, you know, I do know last week there was a call uh, that the players were on with, with the NHLPA, and there was some guys on that call that, that you know, I guess aired some concerns or asked questions or maybe even expressed, um, you know, whether that they weren't all that thrilled about it. I, I don't get the feeling though, that it's, it's a huge number. And certainly I, I don't think it's from, you know, the teams that are likely to be involved in this. I mean, publicly in the media, we, we've heard a couple members of the Montreal Canadians, you know, say that. And, and, you know, at the point when they were talking, I don't think that they realized that they were likely to be part of the playoffs uh, which they would be in, in the 2014 yeah. setup that that does seem to be the favored one now. But when they were making those comments, I think that they thought they were coming back to finish out a regular season and likely not be part of the playoff picture because, you know, they were a fair bit out when the season was paused. You know, I, I don't know that there's that many players, though, on teams that know for sure they would be coming back to play in the playoffs that, you know, feel strongly enough about it to, to say the type of things we saw Blake Snell say. Um, you know, I, there must be some though. You know, I haven't heard it with my own ears, but I am aware certainly of of hearing of some guys on team chats and the like. You know, just just having some some worry about this, and I think it's totally justified. I mean, before this can ever truly happen, I think the league has to, you know, make assurances to the players. Um, you know, really try to make them comfortable with all the conditions around what it's going to look like and why it's safe and and. You know, the precautions they're going to take, how they're going to handle, obviously a big question still is how they're going to handle positive tests and what that might mean. You know, I don't think that's really been answered yet, and I do know it's something players are concerned about. Um, so, you know, that that will be part of it, but I, I don't get any feeling that there's a movement growing, say, that would squash this plan if, if the health authorities say it's it's okay for the NHL to do so. Um, I, I do think, in fact, if you've heard, if anything, you know, a number of players come out and say, they're willing to, to do just about anything that's safe to, to find a way to play and that, you know, mm-hmm. they, they don't mind, you know, what's going on. So, you know, within 700 players plus in a union, there, there's going to be some different viewpoints, but I think overall the, the NHL players are in favor of resuming the season if it can be done in, the, in, in a safe manner. Gary Bettman made some comments while doing a, uh, I, I believe, a web chat with some San Jose uh, business investors and, and some of their business community. And essentially his words were that I'm not even contemplating canceling the season. Now, I think that that is, is what you'd hear from any commissioner in a situation like this. But what did you make of, of Gary Bettman's comments uh, to those folks in San Jose? I, I took it pretty much on surface value is, is this is what we should all expect. And, you know, look, I've, you know, and I know I've aired the, the opinion on here a number of times since this started, I, I've been a bit more pessimistic in general throughout this about the ability to get back. But, you know, it's very clear that the league, you know, doesn't, doesn't see any of that. Uh, doesn't feel that, you know, hasn't proceeded in that manner. And I think, if anything, now that they're getting a little closer to where it's not so much hypothetical about, you know, having most of the, the team facilities be able to open, start to get players back in their playing cities and observing quarantines and, you know, actually getting a bit of action, you know, potentially, uh, you know, as soon as June, I, I would think early June, we might start seeing that. I mean, it's going to embolden them even more towards, you know, seeing this become a reality. So I'm with you. I think it's it's not surprising for someone in Gary's job to, 
to think that way, but but he's also you know been pretty careful over the years with what he says, and and you know there's not very many accidental words or sentiments that come out of the commissioner's yep. mouth. He's a very smart guy, and you know obviously isn't prone to putting his foot in his mouth. So I think it really I, I do take it at face value that that he believes that's where this is headed. You know, there's a lot of other people around the industry that feel that way too. I think there's probably a little bit more optimism in the air of late, and you know especially with the the league being able to use some of the fall to finish off, uh, you know, a playoff tournament. They just feel there's enough time here to, to iron out all the logistical issues that will no doubt still present themselves and, and find a way to complete this playoff tournament. They think it can be done in basically two months from the time it starts. So if you end up starting in the first, you know, right at the start of August, say, it's done by the end of September and you're you're able to start the next season by December, which I think is kind of the, mm-hmm. at least in, in their minds, you know, the, the ideal scenario from where we stand today. I know that one of the big things that you you see a lot on social media is you know anytime one you or Elliot or uh, Bob or or Pierre will come out with a, a piece of news on what's happening NHL wise. There's always those detractors say cancel it now. The borders will never be open. All that type of stuff. I am interested in the border side of things. It's my belief that like for this to happen, um, there, there's going to need to be some sort of exemption uh, that the Canadian government is going to have to grant to to an X amount of players to be able and and staff to be able to come to certain hub cities. I believe that's realistic. But are you are you hearing anything on chats with the NHL and and the federal government about those types of things well i do know the league has kept the government you know pretty apprised of the plans and so you know it's not to say it's a foregone conclusion that that would happen but i do think that there is a scenario where even if the border isn't open that there could be some special dispensation granted uh to players and staff to to allow this to happen and and, you know the key is it's not going to get to july 20th and the canadian government's going to first hear about this idea and have to make a quick decision i think you know behind the scenes and, you know, the, the, the government's well aware of what the NHL's thinking, of how they want to execute it, of the fact that, you know, as I've heard, that they are anxious to use at least a couple Canadian cities if, if they go the hub city route, um, you know, in, in part because it, it helps, um, you know, offset the cost with the, with the American dollar being so strong compared to the Canadian dollar. I think there's also a few cities where, you know, really you, you haven't seen large outbreaks at this point and there's some, some ideal setup potential, especially somewhere like Edmonton, um, to, to create uh, the bubble in a, in a first-class facility. So, um, you know, I, I think that I'm with you. It's, it's probably going to take something special here. You know, the one thing about the NHL uh, that, that people might not think about actively is just having so many Canadians, having so many Europeans in the league, uh, having seven Canadian teams and 24 in the U.S. You know, it's got some some different challenges baked in than, than baseball does or or the NBA, you know, where obviously you just got one team north of the border and in and, and those two uh, situations. And I think that there's easier ways to deal with that. I mean, this, the NHL is, is going to deal way more with the Canadian government um, than, than any of the, yeah. the leagues say, other than, than something like the CFL, for example, which I know is asking for money. But, um, you know, I, I would just think with how important it is to the largest cities in our country um that, that the government will work with the league. And, and I do think that there's a solution to be had there, assuming everything goes in a positive direction. I mean, in, in a lot of jurisdictions, even here in Ontario, where we've had, you know, a higher number of cases than pretty much everywhere but Quebec in the country, I mean, it, the, the trend is in a positive direction right now. I think as long as that continues to be the case and, and you know, this is kept relatively under control, you know, you could see 
Um, you know, we're already seeing golf courses open and all over the country and other things. I think a couple months down the road, it's, it's fair to imagine that uh, hockey players will probably be permitted to travel for, for the purpose of restarting their season. Yeah, and and it's funny. I never even thought about the um, American dollar relatively to the Canadian dollar and how attractive that would be for the NHL to do hub city stuff in Canada for that reason. I'd never even thought about that, which is a really interesting point as well. Chris Johnston. Well, and managing costs is, is important yeah. too, right? I mean, I think that's a, it's a key part of the discussion with the players and the owners because if you're doing this, you're trying to make as much money back as you can, and that involves keeping the costs as, as under control as possible too. It's a, it's a really interesting side note to it. Chris Johnston's with us, our NHL insider from Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. Joins us Tuesdays and Thursdays, Mr. Klein. Uh, Chris, we, we've talked about TV broadcasts a little bit before, but w- with Fox uh, coming out and saying we could have like piped-in crowd noise on their TV broadcasts, I believe uh, some Bundesliga teams are going to have cardboard cutouts of fans at, at their games. Um I guess, A, how different are we expecting these broadcasts to look for the NHL? And B, if they go the cardboard cutout way, how do we get 20,000 Pat Steinberg cutouts at a game in Edmonton? Uh, well, we'll get working on that soon because we're going to have to get those printed <laughs> well in advance. But uh, right. you know, I think all that stuff is definitely on the table um, for our bosses and for the NBC bosses. To me, what will be most interesting about the potential for the hockey broadcast is, is being able to move cameras in all different parts of an arena where – Normally, you're not able to do so because of the fans that are, that are in the building. I think we'll see a lot of different camera angles used, um, you know, in this scenario. I mean, whether it's to finish off this season or even starting next year, I think it's, it's reasonable to assume that the next meaningful NHL game played will probably be in a, a no-fan situation. And, and you know, it's, it's going to be an important job, I think, under that scenario for how the game is broadcast. It can't just be the same product. I think that would be a missed opportunity and also you know we would probably expect larger tv audiences uh, you know for these games too so i think that there's um you know a lot riding on it for for sports at nbc in particular on the national level and you know they've they're already experimenting behind the scenes with what you know what it might look like or sound like you know can you get the ambient fan noise to to not feel like a really bad laugh track on an 80s sitcom is there a way to to make it feel a little bit more normal and then you know, I think you will see some changes. And, and you know, the, the, the neat thing about the camera angle one is potentially they find something that they would never have otherwise had a chance to find that can be incorporated even once fans are back in the building with changing some of the configurations. So, you know, there is going to be silver linings in all of this, as, as weird as it is and as challenging as, as this has been. I think there is opportunity here, um, you know, when, when things get back, and, and especially from the television side. You know, I assume we're going to have more players mic'd. Um, you know, you, you're probably going to have some of that added fan noise, and you know, we'll get a bunch of Pat Steinberg cutouts cheering on the Oilers there in the first round of the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, cheering on the just Oilers. a bunch of different poses from like the Arnold Classic <laughs> and stuff like that. I think would be, uh, I think would be fantastic. Uh, you guys were talking about the the Hub Cities a little bit earlier. Uh, the the Premier of BC came out and said that he's offered to have all of BC be a, a hub for the NHL. Have, have they discussed having like all, all 30 or all 24 or whatever in, in different cities, but maybe all of those being close together? It might be on the table now. You know, I hadn't heard that prior to those comments, you know, from the discussions from the NHL. I think the, the, the thought process all along was that there would be no way to have everyone in one place or that many people in one place and, and have enough facilities, enough practice ice, enough dressing room space, 
enough, you know, hotel amenities that that would be up to the standard of, of players. And, and, you know, maybe BC does have a way to unlock that. Um, but, you know, it, I haven't heard that being something the NHL had, had really been looking at. I mean, obviously the NBA is sort of targeted that model. It sounds like they're looking at doing it all either in a place like Vegas, where it's probably the one place on earth you could, you know, make this happen just because of how, how geared it is uh, towards entertainment and, 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 you know, hosting people. Um, but, but maybe, you know, they've talked about doing it there and splitting it with Orlando. Um, but, you know, they have a lot fewer people and, and they're even talking about potentially playoffs that, you know, see the teams reduced rather than what the NHL is looking at, which is 24 teams. So I think it would be difficult to pull off, but, but Vancouver for a lot of reasons, you know, could be one of those Canadian cities. I mean, it falls into the category of, you know, checking some boxes uh, for the league in, in terms of, um, you know, the cost associated with it. And, and you know, they, they seem to have done a really good job in BC of, you know, not, uh, you know, not having crazy spread of COVID-19 and, and, you know, made that a safe place to, to, to harbor people. So, you know, it doesn't sound like the league has made any firm decisions. I don't think they've even sort of quote unquote cut any of the, the 12 or so teams that put forward uh, the 12 or so cities that put forward bids uh, to have this, but, you know, it's pretty clear uh, BC is being aggressive and trying to, trying to go for a Hail Mary here. Uh, and any updates on the, the NHL draft and when we might be seeing that? Well, I mean, it certainly what we originally thought, which was early June is, is come and gone as an option. You know, I think now, you're probably still looking at, at the potential for a late June draft. You know, I'm personally of the belief just from the, the conversations I've had that they're still going to do this before the season's resumed, uh, even though they have taken a step back from, you know, what looked like a pretty, you know, when they, when they sent that memo around on May 1st, Bill Daly, it, you know, it really looked like that was going to be the plan and they were going to, you know, turn the switch and, and be aggressively planning for a draft on June 5th or 6th. Uh, you know, they've instead now, after hearing some more, um, you know, feeling some more questions from from league owners, I think, have taken some time to work through those issues, to to talk things out, to not maybe have it be as rushed. But you know, I still think it's likely we see this happen uh, at some point before um, you know play resumes, before the playoffs are had. And if that that happens, it's, you're, we're probably looking at at late June as opposed to uh, early June. And you know, I think next week or so wouldn't surprise me if we if we got some kind of resolution there and a, and a firm decision. Chris Johnston's with us, our NHL Insider Tuesdays and Thursdays here on Pinder and Steinberg. One of the one of the things we haven't talked to you about when it comes to draft, and, and I am somewhat fascinated on this because we've heard about how much pushback there has been from a large number of general managers. So let's let's say that the NHL says, okay, yeah, we, we heard you, and, and we, we definitely took your concern seriously, but um, here's when the draft is happening. It's happening in June. Deal with it. Like, are, are there any potential consequences for <laughs> pissing off a, a large chunk of the GMs, or does the NHL hold the ultimate hammer here? I think they hold the hammer. You know, the, this is a league that, that, you know, the commissioner's office has a lot of power in, and I don't think very much of consequence goes on you know, in this in this league, without you know Gary Bettman and Bill Daly and the, the people that work for them being comfortable with it, um, you know, and and you know, I think that the commissioner has the, the support of the owners of the, of the league, and that's that's all he really needs to maintain to do his job. And and so, you know, obviously the GMs are, are valued; they're the ones who, you know, especially in March, you know, really comb over rules. And when there's rule changes to be made, a lot of that is initiated at at the GM's level, but. 
Um, you know, I, I don't I don't see any real repercussions here other than stepping on some toes. I think they're going to step on some toes either way, no matter you know what's decided. This this is not an ideal set of circumstances. It's it's going to be really hard to to keep everybody happy. And and you know, I think the main complaint, honestly, for GMs, I mean, we can comb through everything, but just the idea that it, it's taking away a major opportunity for them to remake their teams and and to right. make the, the the kind of trades. I think. You know, the, the, again, there's a variety of issues, but I think that that's probably the overwhelming issue. And, and you know, the league's position on that is you're still going to have that same chance. It's going to be like a draft week, I guess, when, when the season ends, whenever the next off season is. You know, the problem is, of course, you don't have immediate draft choices to, to trade on the moment, which I think is part of what spurs some of that action. You know, when you, when you see, for example, you know, New Jersey and, and Vancouver made the big uh, Corey Schneider deal years ago on the draft floor. Vancouver got the seventh or eighth overall pick right in that moment, was able to, to draft, I think, Bo Horvat at that point in time right away with that pick. I mean, there's some present value of the pick that, that I think sometimes makes those trades a little easier to pull off that, that it's hard mm-hmm. to do when you're you're away from the draft. But, you know, unfortunately, that's probably going to be one of the things, I guess, everyone just has to live with. And there'll probably be more grumbling over uh, adult beverage or two, but I don't see any real pushback or any – any huge consequences for the league if, if, in fact, they do hold this draft in late June. One more for you, and it's just I, I've I've thought about this, and it's because because Klein asked you about you know the differences in broadcasting. Have you uh, have you thought about it? I, mean, I would assume that you would be asked to do some coverage, whether it is remotely or at the studio in Toronto. But you know we've asked Elliot about this. If you were asked to be in a hub city and and you had to be cut off from the outside world for an X amount of time, is is that something that? you would uh you'd be able to do is that something that you would uh em- i don't know if embrace is the right word but would be okay doing oh yeah i'd do it enthusiastically i mean this is this is my life this is my work and and i love it so you know obviously i i need to know some of the details i guess but, but you know let's face it my bag's already packed if that opportunity's put to me i haven't nice. had any of those nice. discussions and i don't know i really don't even know what the nhl's plan is for you know, media, you know, obviously we're, we're rights holders. I mean, I, I would imagine if you're having no fans in the building, they'll, they'll certainly want to have some coverage on the ground. And, you know, to me, it would just be a really unique opportunity to see something that, that probably will never happen again, certainly in our lifetimes. And, and so, you know, I, I, I would I would be signing up if, if you know, the, the option was put to me. And let's face it, I hope, I hope that happens, not just because it would mean I get to go, but it would mean that we get the games back. And that's that's the most important thing anyway right now i'm 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 slowly coming over to the side that i really want to see that outcome because it's been too long since we've uh, had a meaningful hockey game to watch and, and think about that's our nhl insider chris johnston who joins us tuesdays and thursdays on the program next up classic jays ball from 2015 jays looking for an 11th straight win tonight when they take on the oakland a's and from this game uh from august of 2015 that's coming your way next don't forget tomorrow on the program peter labardi is our guest host joining logo kleiner and myself and craig conroy stops by at 2 30 agm of the calgary flames that's tomorrow but for logan gordon and peter klein my name is pat steinberg check out sportsnet.ca slash 960 for all our interviews today. Uh, We'll talk to you tomorrow. Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan.